0: Looks like we made it cleared out all the fog my baby It might take long in game We knew we'd get there someday they said I'll bet Thalias will never make it but just Well anyway, speaking of Thalias, how's everybody doing? Better than Thalias <laughs>
1: Yeah, much better than Elias, poor, poor bastard. Yeah,
0: he technically made it. It's kind of like, just kind of like dragging the corpse over the finish line. <laughs> <laughs> is the the narrative equivalent of what we did? <laughs> so uh, here we are for our book two retrospective. Uh, I'm super excited. Uh, everybody here is super excited. Say hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. So. To start things off, uh I just wanted to do like a round table on a few different categories. Let's start with our favorite combat of book two. Who wants to uh who wants to start? Oof, this is a tough one. Yeah. Um
2: there's so many combats. And I didn't like any of them.
1: <laughs> yeah. I get the feeling that like Tom might turn around and punch me for this. <laughs> <laughs> but i, I think you're gonna go there <laughs> i think my favorite combat was against the coffer crew just for like yeah the the sheer narrative tension of it and just the way the way it played out i i think that may have been my favorite combat
0: uh i could totally see that
3: from a player standpoint i, I actually i'm going to agree with that um It really did create a lot of tension in the group and a lot of good RP moments. So, uh, from the player standpoint, definitely that. But (laughs) Viper, on the other hand, not so much.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd say we're going to be answering most of these questions as ourselves. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tom's favorite combat was the (laughs) Coffer Crew
2: fight. Yeah, it was. uh,
3: Yeah, it generated so much uh, RP. It's just fun. Hell yeah.
2: Nick? Um, I, I did like that one a lot. I liked it more... Less for the combat of it and more from... I just got to play complete instigator with no repercussions of <laughs> how it went down. Because I was very like, meh, let him go. Fight them, yeah both good options. <laughs> yeah. As far as my overall favorite combat, though... I think I'm going to go with... Um, the fight with the leader of the Red Tanners. Oh yeah, yeah. When we were, what was his it, name? Was I, it I Yannick or was it Yannick? Yeah, I think. Yeah, it was he Yannick.
0: had two names by accident, uh, which which may have caused some confusion. Yannick's the only name I can think of right now, but I remember re-listening. Yeah. To to those episodes, and he was called one name, th- like through like from the flashback he was introduced into. And also, when he like showed himself briefly before everybody went underground, it was like right after Randolph came into the story. But then, once everybody got into the tomb, and like when they fought him, and then any time he was referenced thereafter, it was a different name, and they weren't even similar names. It was yeah, super like two weird.
2: distinctly different names.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I'm gonna I'm just gonna call him Yannick because that's I think the name that uh. I know, that's the only one I can remember so uh yeah that that was a super uh tough fight that that fight carried through the entire book with that curse that he gave uh Rogue Yar and utrid
3: you know uh, like now that I'm really oh looking...
0: I don't think the curse was my favorite
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: well I'm just saying like how many other fights are you still feeling the effects of right like Te- like a dozen episodes later
2: just count yourself lucky that he was able to curse utrid and Rogyard. you would have had no chance for the rest of that book
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah the fact that Rogyard was handicapped like the entirety of the rest of that book
3: yeah now that i look back further on like all the fight sequences i just remember it, it was all there was just damage at afterwards that we had to deal with you know with the plant fight uh, taking the all that dexterity damage, I had to wait what two days because, or something along those lines. I had to do a long rest. Well, we managed to cure most of
1: it within one day because oh, then rogueyard like ran off into town, <laughs> and he went
3: chasing after him. Yeah, none of those fights were fun by any means. My favorite fight was the Gray Reaver. <laughs>
0: yeah, that was definitely one. When- when- like way back when we first started, like we were in like the beta stages of planning this campaign. I was, you know, everybody was kind of searching for what kind of character they wanted to play, making backstories. Uh, Nick, who I'm just super proud of him because Nick put more thought and work into the backstory of Uhtred than he's ever done before. And I was just super, super happy with it. And it, the The research he put into it included looking up uh, just some setting specific events that happened. And so he told me all about how he wants his character to be tied into this red Reaver that had occupied the town of Rosar's Coffer uh, before the campaign started. And so I was like, this is perfect. Because I've got the entire AP in front of me, and I can see that that very Red Reaver comes up in the uh, the second book. Um, So that fight was a lot of fun for me to kind of set up different pieces in uh, anticipation for. So the fight itself I thought was really awesome because we were just in this giant room. There was... Three different types of enemies, all with uh, their own unique threat styles, and then there was the four PCs plus uh, Yando, and it was like tactically it was just it was a very interesting and engaging fight, but then uh, there was just the whole narrative side of it where Uhtred is reliving the like one of the darkest points of his life and simultaneously being given the opportunity to completely redeem himself for it so that's why that's my favorite combat um hey joe i know you're joining us a little late but we're only on our first thing do you have a favorite combat you want to talk about no (laughs) (laughs) awesome (laughs) We're just gonna move on then. So,
1: so yeah. So so Joe's favorite combat is the one where Thalias died, and we were Yeah. Up.
0: Okay. Oh, oh my oh,
4: god. Wow. <laughs> oh my god. Now there's a lot of great combats. Um. Yeah. The one I died was probably my favorite. That's. I mean. It's. How could it not be? That was. Uh. I mean, I died, so it's it's <laughs> a sore up. You know, a sore subject, but I was fuck. I got ripped in half, dude. It was fucking <laughs>
0: awesome. Yeah. If I
4: was gonna die, like. Dying there was how I would have
0: gone out. And I did, so... Yeah, that's the one for it me. Was, was it two crits or three crits that Thalias took?
1: It was two in one full round action. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, I... Oh, boy.
1: And, and it was serendipitous too. enough that the second one was literally called Ripped in Half.
4: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know what's funny, there too? Yeah, Severed uh, Spine. Yeah, Severed I, Spine. Uh, what it was. I, during that combat, I wasn't like... I'm going to die here. I just kind of died. I was like, it was this, you know, a tense combat, but it wasn't like, oh boy, like I'm going to die here. I was like, okay, this is a tense combat and Joe, you're dead. I'm sorry, what? (laughs) Joe, (laughs) Joe, you've died. Like for real? I'm dead dead? Joe, you're
0: so dead. (laughs) What? (laughs) Let me put it to you this way. That half of you over there is dead. (laughs) Yeah. And so is the other half over there. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I mean, because you always have that threshold of like, between being alive and dead where you're not a threat right? and you would, you need a very specific set of circumstances to have an enemy instead of turning and addressing an active threat to instead be like, no, this guy that's laying on the floor, I'm going to continue to attack him. Right. So, failing that, you would need somebody to deal enough damage to you that you drop from being alive to being dead. So, yeah, I think that's why it's like always a humongous shock anytime somebody just drops from being a al- just just to being dead. Yeah. Like no matter where you started, because usually, um, usually
4: that is pretty tough. And uh, yeah, yeah, Joe, you're dead. Boom. That's a that's a great combat. It was definitely my favorite.
0: <laughs> all right. Um well, let's uh let's swing things around and uh now I want to hear everybody's f- uh funniest moment, the fa- favorite funny moment.
1: Well, we just got done talking uh, about it. We'll it's too. when Phileas
4: got ripped in half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're all cracking up for that one.
1: <laughs> no, no seriously, the, the absolute funniest moment had to have been Thalias just yelling after the the that that creature in Yendo's blind after we chased it off.
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, you better run. <laughs> <laughs> you just knocked him unconscious. What a pussy. <laughs> I think my
4: favorite uh like mimetic memeing funny one was uh was Tom's uh name dropping. Can I say that for the first Oops. one that's still, it's, I think, so. yeah, like that's still because he's still fucking doing it, <laughs> like, not as much in the second one, but we occasionally are like, Oh, Tom, remember when you kept doing this? It's still, I that still gets me. I don't know why exactly, but just like throughout Vipura. all six books, Vipira in my in my brain is the one who. <laughs> gonna just like who are you were these people and these people sent us whether or not you're supposed to know that or they're supposed to be involved in any way shape or form that's how it is that's it's our official business
0: Vipira name-dropping is the scram fixing thing yes! of tires.
4: <laughs> that's what it is it didn't
2: work better keep trying it until it eventually does <laughs> I think, I don't know if I would call this a single moment, but I I just think any time that Randolph has actual dialogue is probably my (laughs) funniest moment. And if you put a gun to my head and said, pick a moment, it would probably be when he encountered the zombie version of him and Axel got to (laughs) Randolph Randolph.
3: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, that was pretty good. That was good,
2: uh, Tom. Uh,
3: no, I'm gonna I'm gonna ride off Nick's there. Um, just actually, the first time that we met Randolph, I think Joe did a more extreme version of Randolph. Oh yeah, I thought the first he, he goes up and down with uh
0: with the uh,
4: his comfort <laughs> level
2: with
3: the wind. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, it's good days and bad days. That yeah, first
0: days a little
1: days. little sundowning every now and then. <laughs>
3: That for like, just the first interaction uh, was the one that stuck stuck out of my memory the most. Yeah, and it just was kept really on fun. going. No one stopped you either. Like, everybody uh, was just kind of like jaw dropped. Like, this is perfect. It? This is exactly what we needed.
4: Sometimes when a character gets introduced, it's like you're like not sure what to do, and so I made I made yep, sure that fits you in weren't this one. sure. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who the fuck is this um, maniac? if i if I could share a little insight into that um well yeah, you when, made the character, <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he made the backstory too
0: I mean, <laughs> made the, I made the character and promptly lost uh all agency. <laughs> When Joe was like, Oh, by the way, the phantom is Thalius. Oh yeah, that's right. That wasn't <laughs> supposed to Oh, you happen. didn't know that either
2: going into it?
0: Oh, I did. Okay. And when I was talking to Joe about it, I was like, Yeah, it'll be really cool to like do a slow burn and slowly leave <laughs> hints and then you do the big reveal like a while from now and Joe's just like Full maniac. <laughs> without discussing it with me at all. <laughs> End of first session with Randolph. Phantom is Thalias. And I <laughs> and i was like did he forget like is he about like i was like texting him. i was like yo by the way like remember we talked about this dude you know it was just uh, fucking did it, it was
4: the moment where i was giving a eulogy for myself or whatever you know I was yeah. at my own funeral but i was like i can't not do it it's gotta be here and i just I Beyblade, let her rip
0: <laughs> and uh you know what it's joe's character he's he he's got full agency to to uh, to reveal that whenever he wants. Uh, the control freak in me wanted to throttle him at the time, but <laughs> yep. it's uh, it turned into a beautiful thing. There are a lot of funny moments. Uh, for me, one that I really liked was when Vipera woke up the next day after getting all that Dex damage, like basically fully healed. And just like sprinted back into town, like as long as we've got, as long as we've got Thalia's, I don't need to <laughs> be cautious about anything. Classic. I thought that was really funny. <laughs>
3: Never punished. But...
0: <laughs> <laughs> but ultimately, I think I've got I've got to jump on the Randolph train, and I think Randolph's desperate plea to Rogiar, <laughs> episode fifty. <laughs> when, hey! Like, hey! Anything you want
3: on me? He, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Of just trying anything to to stop Rogiar from attacking this strange woman who's clearly very uh, intimidating. Just tr- like going through like the
2: seven stages of grief. <laughs> I don't know. I still think we could take her if we had to. You know. Well, you know she would have killed we'll me in know. that fight. You know. You know that was going to happen. That's why the <laughs> begging. <laughs> So we finally get everything but,
4: yeah. we want. And then is like, I don't know. Like, what if one of us died in a combat right now? Like,
0: <laughs>
4: no, please. <laughs> strike land. She turns around and Randolph just explodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: She's like, Which one of you did that? Points at Randolph. You. <laughs> you. Just
1: rolls a d4 to decide which one of us she thinks did it.
0: Yeah, that's perfect. All right, let's move on to favorite character moment. It could be a funny moment. it could be a dramatic moment anywhere in between just a badass moment
4: Dude, I like um Nick's uh character when we got to the temple of Light there where his whole backstory like unfolded and the Reaver stuff. I thought that was uh, that yeah. was like a payoff that I personally was waiting for, like you said uh a bit earlier um Nick had a really fleshed out character and we were getting, like, breadcrumbs, and then this one was just like, "Yo, oh, by the way, backstory, here it is. And I, yeah. you know, when you guys are able to do those flashbacks, because they're new to me, right? Like, I don't know all of your guys' backstories. I don't know, you know. You don't like, know your own backstory. Hey, well, okay, yeah. <laughs> but it, it's, like, it's like kind of goofy when it's mine. Because, I mean, for Thalias, I put a lot of effort in his backstory, but Randolph's like, I mean, his backstory needs some work. But the characters that you guys have, especially Usher with his backstory, and Matt, your backstory too is really, has got snuck up on me with uh, some reactions that I've had to yours. Actually, you know, Matt, I got to throw you in there too. Your and Nick's backstory, like the unfolding of those two. Uh, took me really by surprise and really had a big impact on me. Those are my favorite moments because when Axel gets into like flashbacks or whatever, I get ASMR mm. all the time when he's doing those. Like I'm just tingling. My my brain is just going nuts. And uh, oh, thanks. Then the backstories always contribute. So those are those are by far my favorite moment.
0: Matt always does a he, Matt's gotten real good with uh, adding a lot of nice polish to those too. Yeah, because like. When when we're doing them in real time, obviously like like there's no extra sound effects being done then. Like all those happen. And like the music too, all that's happening with uh with Matt's editing. Oh yeah. Um all right, so uh who else has a, a favorite you know, character moment?
3: I got a really good one. At the end of book two, when fighting that lady, uh the the uh, undead uh lady I'm yeah. just watching Matt <laughs> like sweat through that entire interaction was probably <laughs> the best moment of like you made your bed now sleep in it kind yeah. of uh, kind of situation. <clears throat> uh, yeah, so that's got to be my favorite moment.
1: Yeah, that was that was really tough for me too. Cause it's one of those like, I really know I shouldn't be fighting this thing. I know this thing could snap our necks without really trying. And it's like, but I've had this shoot undead on site policy the whole time. Shit.
0: I'd take a <laughs> shot. <laughs> I, I was happy with the way that went because, you know, I, I've got this character's stat block in front of me too. Nobody knows what CR, uh, this mysterious woman is, except for me, and nothing helps illustrate the power of a mysterious NPC than having one of the PCs <laughs> uh, make an attack roll. Get what did you? What, it was, what was the 29. attack roll? Like twenty nine. It was yeah, it was like a twenty nine. It was, like, it was it, a pretty, was pretty a good attack. attack. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> look, look at the look at the NPCs AC. And I was like, "No, it missed." Now I get to—I I have full, full creative license to to describe just how out of your uh, pace, uh, pay pay uh, pay range, pay range <laughs> this uh, this person is, and then uh, letting Yando double down on that too was a lot of fun,
4: dude. Yendo, ah, oh, I fucking love that guy. He
0: he was a surprise character for me.
4: Like, I I didn't know you'd be playing him for so long, and he's awesome. He deserves the fan club.
0: Honestly, I didn't realize he would be sticking... Like, I don't know. Like, he shows up in the way that he shows up, yeah. where, like, you just kind of see him from afar. He, he sees you seeing him. He makes a break for his blind, and then gets attacked by the Yao Guai, gets, like kind of injured during the battle and out of gratitude is like, all right, you can use my blind. Here's some potions. I'll fill you in on what's happened. But then the book doesn't really like say what to do beyond that. And it it almost like suggests that he's just staying in the blind the whole time and like still offers some like helpful advice every once in a while. Like with the assumption that that's where the, pcs continue going uh to rest
2: yeah well, that but that just answered one of my questions
0: uh, after but then like it was i feel i think it was like this like a week before we introduced yando i was like you know what i'm just gonna have yando tag along and maybe he'll die and it'll be cool yeah
4: i i love that he's tagging along yeah I, it's just uh i can't imagine this like without him you know like you play it again and yando's like <laughs> all right, governor, By, And you're like, wait, what? Are you supposed to be Australian and stick around? Or New Zealand? What? Can't just leave.
0: you got a whole fan club you're
4: supposed to have.
0: Well, I'm super glad to hear that everybody's so attached to him. It'll make his eventual uh, departing all the more yep. bittersweet.
4: Book six is a long way away, though, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> that's true.
2: Uh, who hasn't done a, uh, I a favorite character moment yet? i haven't so i'm I gonna give you my honorable mention first and i think for me it was utrid having that interaction with Valthasar, and more yeah. specifically having that first time in his life ever outwardly acknowledging he didn't kill the red reaver yeah. was like i could feel the weight yeah light. and it was such a tiny little subtle thing um but that's my honorable mention. I'm going to go completely 180 with this. And I know it doesn't seem like it should be favorable, but I'm going with Elias' death. And I'm going that purely because I think at the peak of playing a tabletop game like this is you're, you're immersed, right? So deeply into what you're doing to have something invoke such intense feelings like a little behind the scene we had to take like almost a 40 minute break after (laughs) that happened like (laughs) that was not like oh i'm disappointed it was like my night was (laughs) wrecked like i personally was struggling with that (laughs) happening and the only thing i can ever really compare it to in an entertainment media that invoked such a reaction to me was the first time I unknowingly watched the Red Wedding from Game of Thrones and had no idea all that was going to happen, I yeah. spent an hour on my porch, chain smoking cigarettes, just going, "What the fuck? What the fuck?" <laughs> and the liases how abruptly it was, and it wasn't like, "Oh, guys, I'm hanging on by a thread and I'm going to be dead." Just crit crit bang bang, like,
1: yeah, it was just round one. Boom! He's dead, and we're sitting there, like, "What the fuck just happened?"
2: Yeah. Uh, it's it's probably single handedly the most intense feelings I've ever gotten in over a decade of playing this game. Yeah, good answer. That. Yeah, uh, mm. that was a good um, one.
0: Yeah. It's like, dude, it
4: sucks to die, but like to die that way is it's amazing, right? Like, I it's just it. so
1: shocking. Yeah, yeah. Um, I gotta say, for me though, like my favorite moment, uh, it. it a, there were a lot of good ones in this book, but I have to say it was it was doing that, that blizzard blast on zombie Utrid to just blow his scimitar cool. into Utrid's hand. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. it just lined up so perfectly. Oh, I'm yeah. like sitting there gathering the power for this and like and then it was like the zombie's turn and Alex moved him into just the perfect spot. And I was like, oh, thank you for lining this up and
0: unleash. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yes, that I, moment does need to have art made. Yes, I agree, that Nick. Is <laughs> some, some. Oh, <laughs> art, <laughs> the artists, fa- fans who are artists, give us more fan art. We love it so much. We love um, you chaos. Yeah, <laughs> chaos number one.
4: I mean, all of our art is number one, but especially. Nice save, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm going to um, start making art for us. You know, go nice. be a protege.
0: Nice. Let's, uh, uh, crayon and so- have my
4: age at the bottom. <laughs>
0: <laughs> my, I had a couple of favorites. One was uh, with utrid's interrogation of the cultist.
2: Oh, that I forgot that you all guys about tied that. Up.
0: That was good. Just and just like the whole lead up from that was really cool too, because it was like it was in the jewelry shop, I think, and you guys had it was a pretty. It, that was another really like tactically interesting fight because like all the cultists come with these invisibility potions and uh it's just kind of this like mad scramble every time a fight starts with those guys and then trail like so like the final cultist is like running down the street and so the fight ends outside of the jeweler jewelry shop and uh once the final cultist dies that wasn't the end of the encounter because then that um that other creature showed up that you then fought in the streets, the Melakage.
1: Yeah. I wanted to ask, was um, that thing going to like come into the shop if we had managed to beat them all in there or was it just going to be waiting outside for us either way?
0: I don't know. That was something that I kind of threw in that wasn't really part of the campaign. It was another case of, let me, let me see if there's anything fun in the bestiary in the back of the AP book. Uh-huh. And the melakage was one such monster, um, and it's it's a very interesting monster. It's got a lot of really cool abilities, and just the the way in which it's created is is also very fascinating. Uh, and I was like, I w- I want to put it in, but like, do, do I just make it like a roaming monster or what? And I just I decided to. Y- you've got like the Loki spirit that was stopping you guys from entering the cemetery. Um, and so I just kind of decided that I would make it like the like the upside of the same spirit that the Malakage was the downside of the Leloki was all of the hopes and dreams and the Malakage represented the like the resent, the disappointment, the failures of the town. And I just kind of like loosely tied them together like after you know, you need to help all the like the lost spirits in the town and then also kill the melakage uh they just kind of found you anyway really cool thing about melakage is and everybody made their saves against it like it had this like uh this aura of despair or something like that anytime it starts its turn within 30 feet of somebody suffering from that aura it turns uh corporeal oh uh because it's like it's like an insubstantial like spiritual creature um but it turns corporeal if it you know it it's like you know, like sucking out like the joy. It's kinda like a dementor, I guess. Uh and when it does that, it just turns into this like big fleshy ball of faces and it just just squishes down onto the ground and it just like then it just like rolls after you instead of floats after you. And it's just fucking it's so goofy, but also like really like weird like almost like like dark souls and like how just like goofily horrifying it is yeah it's also
1: yeah kind of horrifying yeah
0: yeah it's 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 goofy but it's just so unsettling too um but everybody just kept making their saves and it just kind of ended up being like a just like a weird extra encounter on top of the cultist but anyway uh going back to uh utrid interrogating that cultist uh that was when you guys first discovered that that's that the base of operations for the cultists was at the bastion of light and like i i knew that nick had you know his character uh like had that connection with the bastion of light but i kind of like forgot that it was as significant as it was and nick's reaction uthr's reaction to learning that was it was very visceral but also very controlled and it was like he nick just did a really good job of role-playing somebody who's really grappling with all these very different emotions and then he eventually he just ends the he he ends the interrogation with just killing that dude so yeah that was really
3: i still remember uh, how like nick started that entire thing off Tell us what you want. Otherwise, we'll stick Viper on you. And <laughs> yeah. I, just, I just imagine like Viper is just chilling out, minding her own business, and she has to like stand up
2: and be like, "Yeah, wait, what am I doing?" <laughs> uh, that that was funny. My favorite part of that whole little interaction was actually Thelios picking up the body and like, or like I think Uchi carried it out, and then Thelios coming over and digging a grave for him. Yeah, and just Uhtred standing there watching him do it, like quietly. Yeah, I, I
0: forgot about that part. Yeah, that was it's just like a just the setup to the to the the moment, the character moment, and then the actual character moment, and then like the the conclusion of it of Thelios burying this guy. Yeah, it was just a really solid uh, sequence of events. Um, another thing I wanted to. Uh, touch on, and it was, uh, like, Thelias' death was kind of the, like, the connective tissue of this was the the mounting drama between Rogiar and Vipira. Um, yeah. I've like, loved that. Yeah. And like honestly, throughout book one, Rogar and Vipira got along pretty
2: well. It was uh it was Viper and Utrid who were kinda of butting heads through book one. No,
3: I don't think it was yeah. no, it was mostly I, I would go as far as saying Father Crow. I, I imagine like Utrid we... While he was around, yeah. Father
0: Crow and Viper definitely butted head the heads the most, but I think overall she and she and Utrid had the most uh back and forth. But yeah, uh it kind of came out of nowhere with Rogue Yar and Vipira. and yeah, like it just kind of it just like gradually went up and up and up and then like right before that fight that ultimately was the death of Thalias, that was that moment was the single biggest, you know, bit of infighting where I, I forget, like, Vipira just kind of, like, s- had, like, some offhanded thing to say about Rogiar, and, like, Rogiar flew off the handle, and then, like, there's back and forth, Uhtred had to break it up, be like, this is not the place, and then oh, I th- you guys f- fight that thing down there, and Thelias dies, and, like, Rogiar and Vipira had to kind of put all that
2: baggage aside. Yeah. Like because unresolved was, too. Like it wasn't like we fixed it and put it aside. Yeah. It was just well <laughs> a total pause button.
3: Yeah. And then the next yeah. day, like we get into this. Uh, we get into this uh, upon this thing's death. W- we were raging, or what? What happened with that? The um,
2: yeah. well, that was definitely not the next. Yeah, day, yeah there there was, was, a, was,
1: there was another fight time. after. Yeah, there's another fight well after that, where like yeah we finished cool. and we had like this this rage aura on us. And a bunch of stuff boiled over Uh, at that point, too.
0: Yeah, that was when we almost lost another PC because Matt thought (laughs) that, you know, all the PCs were just uh, built to take Rogueyard Blasts like they were nothing.
4: That was awesome. (laughs) I really like that one.
1: (laughs) I will Uh, say, after like looking back and re listening to that situation, like when we were, when I was editing it and everything else, like I do realize that, like, I definitely should have just said, Rogar shoots a blasted Viper's feet or something. I never should have hit that attack button on roll twenty. Right. I never should have rolled that.
0: Yeah. Well,
2: you know, we were in the moment. You were you were uh, you were in that blind rage. Um yeah, the best part which, was he hit the attack button and then it like all came rushing into his head like, oh, what the fuck did I just <laughs> do? And then like the huge sigh of relief when it was not a good attack roll. Yeah. Yeah, and
0: so. Just real. I'm just kind of like pointing them out as as they come up. I don't know if we're ever gonna like go go over all the stuff that I changed throughout book two. But that was another encounter that um, that I altered. That was one that I just kind of fabricated, like with the uh, the Malakage. Instead of that ooze, that room actually had a, a swarm. Um, Fucking swarms, man. <laughs> and it was a it was a nasty swarm too. One of the many things Roguear is geared to, <laughs> to to excel against, but yeah, I don't know. I, I saw the swarm and I was like, after everything in this tomb, after every one of these fights, now they have to fight a swarm and I was like, No, I'll just find I'll I'll will I'll figure something else out. And I I I found that thing and I really liked the idea of cause it kinda like built on the theme of that entire dungeon, which was like you're just kind of sifting through the, like the the sins, like the past misdeeds of of the town, and uh, uh, it's an emotion ooze. Is like you can just kind of cater it to almost anything, because um, it can go through all these different emotional foci. So I figured it would just it was just this thing that was like just slowly collecting all this uh, like latent rage that. Uh, the people who uh, like knew certain secrets of Roslar or like the town founders. And it just, it was just kind of festering over all those years into, and eventually just kind of coalesced into that ooze. But yeah, I was not expecting that thing to provoke such a uh, intense character uh, interactions either. So that was really cool.
4: Yeah, it is cool and just it's almost like randomly where you're like have these strong feelings, you know, like something like that or just all of a sudden the characters are (laughs) like 10 minutes earlier. You wouldn't have not expected them to be acting that way.
0: Yeah, exactly. Do we want to move on to some questions?
2: Questions? Sure. Let's yeah, sprinkle some in.
0: All right. First question comes from Casual Chaos from Discord. Uh, how much do the players coordinate with one another for class selection? Do you collaborate for party composition?
2: Not, like, not a lot. A lot of times it's kind of just us individually coming up with a character idea, and then kind of at a certain point before the campaign we'll be like, yeah, I'm playing this or this. If someone's still undecided, we might approach it from what would work well in the group, but... <laughs> I don't think we've ever sat down and said, "Okay, like who wants to play frontline? Who wants to play caster? Who wants to play healer?" The only exception to that would have been uh, Randolph,
0: right?
1: Because he was replacing the healer.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. When we first started Tyrant's Grasp, I try to kind of stay out of it as a GM because, like i I've got eyes on everything for as far as like what the players can expect to encounter. I think but I also a good
2: like, job of never steering towards a class or something specific, but providing us with information like the campaign, you know, you might not spend a lot of time in like settlements, right? So yeah, like, and things to, like to that.
0: To that end, to that end, the uh, Paizo is really good about having a lot of that info for like in their players guides for the APs Um, but I I, so I take a lot of that information just kind of like regurgitate it but I remember one thing that I again I wasn't trying to draw really any attention to it to make it seem like I was like trying to tell anybody what they should play because I that's not what I like to do but I remember like everybody's making their first level characters and I just kind of kept casually being like no no real dedicated healers (laughs) uh, in one way or another just kind of repeating that
4: i I think the only time we've ever really had any composition discussion is when you've known what everyone wanted to play and been like there's this huge hole (laughs) that is so like if four of us were like yeah like independently we all want to play ranged you know bow users (laughs) alex you'd be like oh yeah that's cool um do you think maybe all of you shouldn't play for ranged bow users (laughs) because because you totally could if you want you know you'd be you'd let us right but you you'd also be like just so you guys know like you all independently picked ranged
2: bow user and maybe that's not the best (laughs) See, alls I'm hearing, Joe, is next AP. Next you're AP, ando's fan club. Yes, for range bow users. <laughs> yes, uh, they're in
3: competition <laughs> with the mass brotherhood.
1: And I will say, part of part of the uh, the party comp- composition conversation is always a bit mitigated by the fact that I make like seven characters, and then yeah. I just decide which one the party needs.
0: Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> Uh, so yeah when Thalias died and Joe like big round of applause for pivoting with Thalias as hard as you did to be yeah a dedicated healer as a fucking paladin in tyrant's grasp like how the fuck did like w- we got through so much I was the struggle was just fun just, though right I mean just relying on Thalias as the healer
2: I I thought you w- did really well with it too like we were always. Resource starved, but able to be like, well, we're starting the day like full, right? Yeah, yeah. So it was like it took everything you had, but you were getting us to where we had to be. Yeah, yep. So when Thalia's did finally
0: die, that was one of like our like our check boxes that Joe and I had for his new character because that was like, look, you don't have to be a healer for your new character if you don't want to be But you saw how the first part was But <laughs> Yeah, but like this is the situation that we're in. Uh like I just want you to know like how that's going to affect the group if you decide to play something else. Would you um, like to have even less fun by not having a healer <laughs> at all and everyone dying? Like no, yeah. that's that's what I mean. I, I'll like to heal. And I mean there's definitely something to be said about like, well, what if I just went like just like a fucking, like, just fighter. And like a, or like a, I don't know, just some dedicated, like, heavy hitting, undead killing maniac. Yeah. And my offensive output was so much that, like, 60% of the healing that we otherwise would have needed never even gets through. Yeah. I, um, I couldn't handle that. Like, like on a mechanical yeah, level. Like, basically making it like a second <laughs> rogue yar. Yeah. But yeah. So once once we decided well or once Joe decided that he definitely wanted his new character to be a healer, um yeah, that's the kind of when we started looking at what could do that, but you know also be something fun and interesting um you know it was but- also nice
4: uh. In terms of like getting everyone on board with a new character when they're the healer in a horror campaign, it's like, what are you gonna say no to this guy? Yeah, you know? It's like, yeah. well, what do you bring? <laughs> <laughs> I bring healing spells. Oh, our yeah. other guy just died. Get over here. <laughs> we love you.
0: Yeah. Very impressive resume. Yeah. Curlite wounds. Get over here. Yeah. Uh all right, let's uh let's do another question. Matt, is this question yours or is this a different Matt?
1: Oh, uh, that was it. Was yeah, I put it in there as a reminder for myself to ask it at some point.
0: Oh, okay. Well, I, I randomly rolled and got that one. So why don't you go ahead and ask that question?
1: All right. I was just wondering—is just from like listening to editing I was doing today for the next couple episodes. Um, I was just curious because it's never—I know he this guy was brought up in a couple of instances, but we we know that the Bastion of Light before. Everything happened was being inhabited by a guy named North Albo, who was like a, a priest of Serenry, who was trying to get the Bastion of Light like up and running again. Oh, yeah. And I was wondering was that skeleton we found in the bathtub at like Valthazar's rooms, was that North Albo?
0: No. So that skeleton was the corpse of the fettering spirit that you guys fought in the hallway when you first encountered the fest, the, the fettering maw. Okay. Uh, it was the thing that like bubbled down from the ceiling and, uh, it was, it was your first combat. I think in the, the second story, the second floor of the bastion of light, um, you, I think you notice that there's like a hole like dug into the wall neck, like just next to that bathtub and that hole. Led into the room that Valthazar was sitting. So basically, everything that the festering spirit said, the corpse also said. So basically, Valthazar set up this weird like intercom system. Yeah. So the festering spirit, like you may remember, was just is just like constantly babbling, like a near incoherent string of stuff. And every once in a while you could get like a snippet of like, is he talking about us or is he just kind of like, like just like we are one of like the million things that he's like just observing and just like it's just this like ceaseless string of, of subconscious thought. So basically Valthazar knew that there were intruders in the Bastion of Light because suddenly the the corpse in the bathtub in the next room started just babbling like. I see these people, here's what they look like. And like um, amongst like a hundred other things, but that's, that's who that skeleton was. Uh, North Albo. Um, it was tough because it was Randolph's kind of hook sort of into the campaign. The, the backstory. Enc- <laughs> yeah. His, his very robust backstory. And the, there was an encounter in there. Um, but you guys didn't go to that room until after you had killed Valthazar and I don't know. It just kind of felt weird of like, like this big final climactic fight is over. All right. Now you guys are in like research mode and like, you're just kind of doing a last sweep of the bastion of light. And just the way the pacing was, it was like this is clearly the final episode of book f- of uh, of book two. I just didn't like. I didn't want to be like, and oh, it's an encounter. Everybody roll initiative, but it's only like I I think it was Joe and it
1: was me, Joe Pat. and Yando, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. But only the three of you roll initiative, and like there's this encounter, and like it's it's going to be like small potatoes compared to. You know, fighting Valthazar, and there were a few of those that you guys didn't actually participate in. And I don't know, maybe in hindsight I should have still kept the North Albo encounter um, just because it was tied to Randolph, but it just kind of felt like it was going to throw off the pacing of everything and we were either going to turn episode 50 into what was already a pretty long episode into like multiple episodes and like we would have a really short episode 51 capping off book two and i don't know just kind of felt weird so i just kind of all like removed them all together but yeah he was he was in that i think it was like the very last room that you guys uncovered that it was the one that you found the uh those like tattoo needles in yeah so i figured it was just kind of for the best to just kind of Skip it all together, and like ultimately, just the mystery of what happened would have superseded any like revelation that Randolph could have had. uh'd be like, Aha, it's North Albo, oh, but he's dead, but you know that's kind of all I ever would have expected at this point. Fair um, enough, yeah, so that's the story of that and North Albo. um all right, let's do one more question, and then we'll move on. okay, here's a question from Cam from Discord players what is your favorite fuck you alex were the shit moment and alex what was your favorite fuck you players i got you moment
2: book two man i don't feel like there was any point in book two where i was like yeah we're the fucking shit. <laughs> easy peasy like yeah and i also feel like
0: i was never like haha i got you because the entire book i was like guys i'm so sorry <laughs> I, I i want you to win too please trust me
1: i gotta think i feel like the one like fuck you were the shit moment i feel like it has to for me it has to be when i unleashed that blizzard blast on on zombie utrid that did like 87 damage
4: i feel like i lived vicariously through that one um (laughs) i know that's not a you know us i think it's more of a you thing but i i feel like it was an i feel like i contributed to that i know i did
3: but I, I feel like i did
1: just just that feeling of power that comes with doing that much damage
3: on a non crit <laughs> <laughs> yep yep you know i i got a real uh, salty moment of uh of fuck you alex not it's not that I got one on you. You got one on me with Yando, and I'm really annoyed. Oh, with kill stealing Balthazar, <laughs> you kill stole Balthazar. What do you want from me? Yando <laughs> like, coming Yando around the turn like... <laughs> just takes the <laughs> shot.
2: Uh. I, wow. I have a question I, for you, Tom. Why did that matter so much to you? You have not. Okay, yeah, I was about been, to say. I guess I didn't really realize how much it
0: meant to
3: him. You Dude. have
2: never once been like I have to have a kill, and then just all of a sudden on him, it was
3: your okay, life was so ruined. Here's well, here's where it, here's where I got really annoyed with it. I built up this entire thing in my head. I knew I knew that we were going to run across our dead bodies, and I got, like, super stoked to, oh, yeah, I get to fight against Vipira, like, everybody wanted. Which won. you never did. Yeah, yeah I, I understand that because the bigger threat in the fucking room was Balthazar, and I was just like, all right. Well, at least I'll get to kill the main boss. I didn't even get to do that. I made all these plans, and I was just like, "Oh, uh, all right, Viper is not worth it." Like, I I just need to focus on this dude. Yeah, <sighs> well, and and you helped.
0: Like, you dealt a lot of damage to him. <laughs> like, most the of the damage to him. Yeah, you dealt most of the damage. Like, and then Yando came and cleaned up. <sighs>
1: He confirmed the
3: kill for you. No, <laughs> yeah, I wanted to best. confirm the kill. <laughs> Rogar almost confirmed the kill. I almost, <laughs> I really almost freaked out on hey, that.
1: I intentionally did not aim at Valthazar, and I intentionally who, didn't who, who hit Zombie Vipira.
3: Somebody absolutely. Cha- oh wait, what? Oh, was Utri was also Uhtred. chasing down Valthazar? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, you. <laughs> That's right. And then when you missed, I was just like, yes, I get it. And then,
2: nope. I'm willing to bet Tom never cares about a final killing blow ever again the rest of the game. No, I
3: won't. I won't. (laughs) It's that one, though. built that one up so much in my head. Uh, My my
2: advice? If you were like, had had it built up that much, you should have told us. It's not like (laughs) as we were recording, you were like, guys, guys, I really want this. You were just like...
3: You know, to be fair, though, I... I definitely didn't realize how much I've had it built up. It was such repressed energy. Uh the moment that he came around the uh the moment that Yendo came around the corner was the moment that the anger actually came out and I was just like, "No, you bastard."
0: You know what I think it's from? Book 1 final boss. Tom did nothing.
2: Mm, maybe, he, yeah. Cuz he
0: got dominated that entire fight. Uh. <laughs> So he got to do nothing, and I think that's where this is coming from, book two final fight, and Tom is like, I'm kicking ass, I'm kicking ass, like, finally, my time in the spotlight for the finale of the book, and then here comes Yando around the corner, and boom!
1: Here comes Yando off the turnbuckle.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, if it makes you feel any better, Tom, I don't think Ucher dealt any damage, and Book two final boss fight. Did Uchur deal any damage? Book one final boss fight? Maybe not. Because he
0: he was calmed for like the first half. That's true. He was. He did come
1: in, I think, with like some acid splashes at the end once he got that calm removed. Maybe.
0: Yeah. Let's move on. Character growth. Uh, I want to go around, have like an open discussion uh, with everybody regarding one player character at a time. And we can just discuss character growth of book two, and and or from the beginning of book one to present. Any one character that we that anybody wants to go over first?
4: Uh, I think the dead one needs to be uh, front of the line here.
2: Yeah. All right. Sure. Well, his character growth is complete.
4: <laughs> his character growing into the ground six feet under. <laughs> oh, uh...
0: Thelias. Yes. Uh Thelaus was a good boy. So his character growth I of think boys. was
4: was kind of cool because he was like a like a de facto leader. And then I feel like some other people like were, you know, showing their power. Like Rogyar at one point was like was it the tarot reading or whatever, where he's like, he's the guy, you know, he's our power, and then he was flying yeah. and he's uncorking these blasts and shit. So it's like a it's like a two tone character development. Or or, you know, sort of Thalias being like a like de facto leader versus the fucking army that's behind him. I, I thought that was a really yeah. cool development. And then when he died, it was sort of complete, right? Where he was like sort of a leader at one point and then was, you know, had his army really his team showing up and then he dies and now it's the you know, the team is fucking I mean, just look at Rogar, right? I mean Look what a- Rogar's become. He's an actual. He's like the fucking Hulk, right?
0: I never really got the impression that Thalias was any sort of leader, though. In
4: the very beginning, not this, not book two. I, I do, was, okay. I
3: do briefly recall. Uh, he was, that. he was
4: a sort of lead, and then it just.
2: Uh, he was the line leader well yeah but was, that
4: that was like intrinsic right like in front of the line all right guys like you know he was okay. more
2: of like a quiet leader it wasn't yeah. like a vocal thing it yeah, was more yeah, yeah. just through his actions like take a pounding get back up get right in front like okay yeah yeah, yeah like I like
1: thalias was definitely the heart of the group
2: yeah oh totally yeah, but yeah, the,
4: my uh, my point is just like the power levels that some of us, uh, well, not me, but some of the other players here have reached, and uh, it's just awesome to see the the fucking artillery behind behind Thalias. Yeah, really, as the frontline more than like the leader, but yeah, I thought it's that like was-
0: Captain America among like Iron Man, Thor. And yeah, it's Hulk. Like, it's like um.
3: <laughs>
4: At the start, he's like, all right, like, guys, I'm going to protect the group. And then at the end, it's like, the group is going to protect me, right? Like, I, you know, <laughs> the group is the power. You know, I'm I'm in the front, but you guys are, you know, I have faith in you. Like, I know what you can do and, and that sort of stuff. And then he died so, about it, which changed the whole sort of thing. It's like, all right, guys, I <laughs> was in the front for a while. And uh, you guys proved what you could do. And now keep doing it keep love you guys keep keep going
0: <laughs> so let's talk about randolph right um something tells me he's gonna be a like a flat line yeah as far as uh yeah character developments concerned yeah um but i mean has he has he developed since he since we first introduced him he was kind of like a well, he's a freaking maniac crazy dude yeah and uh, uh
4: his main his uh mania has Calm down a bit with getting comfortable with you guys, but it will be back. And I think he's going to be like a seesaw. He'll be up and down. I don't think he's going to be thing like that a. That kind of
0: came out of nowhere for me yeah. was like the weirdly antagonistic relationship that he's developed with Thalias.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah. Well, it's a, it's a like, man living it. in his consciousness and like he, they help each other, but. <laughs> It's like a, yeah, it is sort of weirdly antagonist. You're right.
0: Like at first, like at first when we were still in the, in the tomb, Joe was describing Rogier and as being like, after you, no, after you. Oh, (laughs) all right. And then like, like combat would start and be like, well, I went last at initiative. So that's because the entire time we've been like, all right, I'll go left and you go right. Or should we do this? And and like, just kind of like being like, (laughs) like still trying to like get comfortable around each other, but ultimately being very polite with each other and like, like, brothers-in-arms kind of thing. But then, like, just (laughs) the drop of a hat is, like, Joe decided that, you know what? Thelias is the fucking beta in this relationship.
4: Well, he is, I mean...
1: Calling him a useless pile of goo.
4: (laughs) Yeah. Well, what's he gonna do about it, right? Well, you know what, though?
2: I feel like that actually makes a lot of sense in terms of character growth, because, like, when Joe was first getting into combat with Ralphus or Randolph, Randolph was... Like, having trouble doing and succeeding on the things he wants. And Thelias was just like, shovel, shovel, damage. Like, kind of outshining him in those combat moments. Ooh, okay.
4: Yeah, it's like learning how to use a sword. At first, the sword is the power. But then you are wielding the sword and being the power, right? Like, people aren't afraid of (laughs) you with the sword. They're afraid of the sword. Or maybe it's with a gun, right? right? They're not like, oh, no, he's got a gun. But the important part is the gun. But then if you're
2: like a, you know, a skilled marksman,
4: then it's it's sort of you being the the point of terror. Okay. It's like Randolph
2: hasn't understood that Thalias is his sword.
4: <laughs> it's a very complicated relationship, which I think is fun. You know, the, yeah. they sort of are it this is. weird pair.
2: It, and it kind of feels more like it's two people as opposed to like, you know... It's just a piece of, it's a part of an extension of Randolph. Yeah.
4: It helps that Delias was a real person, (laughs) you know? Right, right. It's like a cool, uh, if I just started as this guy who has this spirit, I I think it wouldn't have been as interesting for me. Yeah. And props Uh, to Axel for that one. That was, I did ruin his whole thing, but (laughs) that that was so, like, that idea was insane.
2: I gotta be honest, I'm glad you didn't slow burn it, because it's given us a lot of gems. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah, what the
0: the cool thing is like I think that's what the the spiritualist was always really a really cool class concept to me and all things aside in my opinion spiritualist has the best spell list in the game I will fight you. <laughs> and uh but I think like with the whole phantom mechanic like it was it's kind of like you can go that far into it if you really want to for you know like who is your like a, like you can just treat it like an animal companion and be like this is my phantom i know nothing about him i call him bob and uh <laughs> yeah. we are together we are the spiritualist class but like the way the the phantom is written into the into the mechanics by paizo it's like this phantom was a person this person has uh like a like a some sort of history behind themselves they have their own backstory and indeed for them to have been put on this very strange path that now has them as a phantom to some weird spiritual person they sh- should be in some way a very interesting person so i think we're like we kind of accidentally played into that and created like the ideal spiritualist as Paizo kind of conceptualized it. Um, who wants to go next?
3: Uh, I will. Okay. Uh, um yeah, no, Viper's development. I <laughs> my personal thought is definitely uh Rogier's had like this crazy impact on Viper's personality where she's just like Wait, there's another murder hobo here. Like there can't be two of us in in one situation. So, I feel like Viper has grown exponentially in comparison to what she used to be compared to just due to like the interactions with uh, Rogiar and uh the stuff that she's just even been exposed to uh just constantly reminding her yeah, no, everyone that you love is dead and you <laughs> like traveled this far seeing this many things. Uh her her storyline is absolutely nuts.
0: Yeah, I think uh I think my favorite moment that Vipira has had was right after that uh emotion ooze and like all the all that drama between her and Rogiar Came bubbling back up to the surface in the least constructive way possible, and like I, I don't like PvP in my games. I'm not a fan of like I like I like bickering between PCs. I think it's fun, but there's a definite uh, a definite line that goes at the end of my comfort zone. And Vipira and Rogiar have. Gone over that line a couple times, but you know, it's their characters. I let them do their thing. Uh, and this was a time where I was like, Oh, we're definitely gonna go over that line again. And Vipira just hugged Rogyar about it. And
4: uh, the Vipira's always keep me on my toes. I i don't know what, what it is about. Maybe it's Tom behind the wheel, <laughs> it's just beautiful <laughs> fucking renegade. But I feel like when when is doing something, I'm like, All right, like, where what's gonna happen here? And then a lot of the times, I'm like, "Dang, like that was sick, good or bad, you know." Like, just, yeah. just like the suspense uh, of what the fuck's gonna happen.
0: As far as having like backstories with ties to Roslars Coffer, Vipera and Utrid are definitely the uh, the front runners of that. But Uhtred's stuff is mostly grounded a bit farther in the past. And so, Vipera's ties are all, like, very, very recent. You've got Jerry, the tavern owner, and then Mary and Nigel, and then the Coffer Crew. The coffer Crew died about six months before Book 2 started, but Nigel, Mary, and Jerry, like, we all, we met them in Book 1. So, Vipera's definitely had the most uh, tumultuous... Time and obviously, Rogiar lost his son, but I think Vipira has had to be reminded of her losses so much more often, and there are m- more losses altogether. Yeah, that I, I think I that's think, a good way I think to put that, it. There. Yeah, that that has gone a long way, I think, in like really like and Vipira is definitely a more uh abrasive person. To start out with, you but... put the two together, yeah. <laughs> the coffer yeah. crew
4: is a great example because it's like, hum de dum, here we go, and oh, there's this coffer crew. And Tom's like, all right, like, what's going <laughs> to happen now? I have no idea. Also, I, uh...
2: <laughs> as far as I know, too, every PC except Vipera, while well, they lost somebody or something important in Rosler's coffer, has family elsewhere. Like, Uhtred's dad and stepmom and half brothers are still alive like brogyar still has his wife and his other kids like as far as we know that was everyone that mattered in vipera's life that's true yeah it, um
3: yeah Viper's uh vipera's backstory really like limited how many people that uh you know Viper's backstory isn't like riddled with people in uh in rossler's in rossler's coffer but the way how alex did it up just it just felt like entire families were lost like to (laughs) vipera that just kept on coming in and coming in oh you're an undead but yeah. Why don't you leave us alone? Oh wait, my best friend is about to murder them. All right. Well, I gotta be okay with this now. S- for some reason. Yeah. Uh, who's, well, who's uh, this
4: new person? Oh, you know Vipira? That makes sense. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, I will
1: say that that kind of that was kind of the disconnect too with Rogiar. is the whole time he he was under this. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to say assumption, but like he has the the thought in his head that you know, once someone dies, they're dead. And like, if you reanimate the body, that body might have some, you know, some memories still attached to it or echo, but that's not the person that you knew when they were alive. So that was like, I think that was the core of the blow up between Rogiar and, and Vipira. is that Ruger's looking at it like, okay, these are just undead. They, these aren't the people that you knew. They died, and I'm sorry for that. But these aren't the people that you knew. These are just abominations that need to be put down. It was also, and like, and it was yeah. like Vipira just saw
3: her friends. Well, it was also a, a, for practical purposes as well. Uh, I I even think I, that was mentioned somewhere in the chat at one point. I uh, Vipera saw no reason to fight them. I guess is uh, where. Not only did she see, still see her friends, at the very least, a, a very brief part of them uh, still show up, they weren't looking for a fight with us. As a matter of fact, they were just going to walk right past us. So I was, uh, Vipira, very okay with that situation. All right, I'll deal with that later. And, you know. Yeah. Would
0: they have gone out to the town been like, all right, it's our town now. Aren't there people snooping around in that tomb, though? That's our tomb, too. We should go take care of them. Would that have happened, or would they have not been a threat the entire time? Wanna, Who knows?
3: Do you want to ask that question? <laughs> Can we ask that question?
0: I'm asking that question. Who knows? <laughs> you um, do. So, going back to when everybody was making their characters, uh, so Nick did some research and he did the whole red reaver thing. And I made sure to make note of that Tom's backstory was also very involved. Uh, and I'm, I'm always a fan of more info, more, th- more so than less info. Um, but for the coffer crew, that was actually me. Um, cause the coffer crew was always going to be in book two, but they were just like, you know, you enter this room and it's these three undead creatures, uh, Locals PCs who were local to Rosar's Coffer might remember the Coffer Crew, and here's a brief uh, backstory on what happened to them. And I just kind of like I saw the backstory that Tom was creating, and I saw the Coffer Crew, and I was like, "Hey Tom, do you think Viper would have joined a gang when she got to Rosar's Coffer?" And Tom was like, "Fuck yeah, <laughs> that's so cool." So, so I was like, "All right, well, you know, here's what that gang was, and here here's what happened to them." So that was, that was cool the way that worked out as well. The coffer crew ended up being such a, an integral part of the story. I feel like the whole Nigel and Mary thing gets overlooked a lot. But that was another big moment for Vipira, which <laughs> ended in her being almost fully paralyzed by that.
1: That damn plan thing. And then, yeah, that was the other time when Rogar was just trying to do something nice by going to try and clean up the square for her <laughs> to help her out. And it turns into this whole freaking chase thing and turned into a whole mess. Really,
0: you know what? That I really liked that moment, too. Once, like, the dust settles and Viper is, like, going all mom on Rogar. Like, <laughs> don't make me worry like that again. Yeah. And Rogar's like, yeah, well, fine. <laughs> All right, uh, who do you want to do next? Let's do Rogiar next. The power! I. The power! It's all about the power! <laughs> the power. It's all about power.
1: And, I, and stealing I... Randall's thunder with the healing power. Dude,
2: that oh, my so God. Epic. Well, I mean, power, right? Power! <laughs> you're like a freaking Sith Lord, dude. You guys are so powerful. But he's grown, and you're like... <laughs> He's so funny, too.
4: The voice you do with them—it's
2: like, I, I don't know. Why am I so
4: powerful? It's like... <laughs> 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 this fucking dude just absolutely annihilating everyone. Like, getting all these... Every level up is like, dude, watch out. Like, again. Yep. I, I love how it's powerful... It's only going to get worse, I'd, dude. Uh, it's going to be amazing. And it was foretold. It was in the cards or whatever, right? From uh, Just
0: wait until he can maximize his blasts. What, what Honestly, was it? Was empowers like a better,
1: reading? yeah. The hero reading where the hero where it said like yeah, you, Rogiar, you are like the key to the group's future yeah. or something. <laughs> like yeah, you're like, what like, do you no. mean me?
4: <laughs> but like it's been for me, it's been sort of becoming pretty fucking apparent. Like we've got this absolute unit.
0: Hell yeah. On the on the subject from uh, Vipira about Rogyar's whole kill undead on site policy. I've been wanting to ask Matt when he kind of made that decision for Rogue Yar. Because it, it kind of felt like it came out of nowhere and it came out of nowhere at the moment where Vipira had a vested interest for that to not be the policy. Dude, Xena um, I think
4: Xena nailed it in the in the chat there. Oh, what'd <laughs> they say? Rogar was out of, uh, out of town or cleaning an infestation. is seeing every last semblance of home wither away to dust. It felt like Rogar was out there you know, doing a job and Vipera was like the the starkness of it was they don't I mean know anything. these roaches. <laughs>
0: yeah, I know these <laughs> are my roaches. <laughs>
4: What are you doing? It's like, dude, come, they're roaches. Stop! Like, no, I know this one too,
0: dude. You can't know
4: all of the roaches. Like, we're never gonna get this done if you know every single roach. <laughs> like one or two, I could maybe get. But like, you know all of them. They all have to die. Come on. Be
0: <laughs> Matt, y- your thoughts, or is that more or less where? Uh, no, no, where no. From
1: no. Um, I will say when I was. This one has like a slight metagamey background to it, because when I was building Rogiar, I took like alternate racial traits that basically replace a lot of the the natural dwarven hatred for like orcs with hatred for undead. Um, oh okay. Yeah, and it's and it's it's kind of like the one area where I kind of neglected his backstory, but like Rogyar does have like this innate distrust and hatred of the undead. It was just yeah, it, it's just something that I didn't it's really the perfect get to... time to come
4: out. <laughs> if it's gonna come out. I mean it works, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Go, but it was one of those guys, yeah, like
4: I hate undead. It's like, oh yeah. perfect, because there's a bunch of them and we have to kill them.
1: That it was like the whole time with uh with book one, like I don't think we fought a single undead the entirety of book one. We did so it. <laughs> Nope. So like it just didn't come up until we got to book two.
0: That's still one of my favorite things about this campaign where you're like ah yes it's this survival horror themed campaign focusing heavily on undead so everyone's like all right level one i'm gonna really i'm gonna put all my eggs into the undead basket and it's like well i got some bad news for you (laughs) the entirety of book one no undead ever (laughs) dude speaking book two it's like 80 percent undead
4: speaking of got a surprise for you book one Fucking Nick, never getting his
2: weapon. (laughs) Well, I mean, not getting it in book one wasn't a surprise for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that I knew it wasn't coming back till book two. I just didn't know it wasn't the end of book two. The end of book two, especially,
1: especially knowing that it was an actual magical weapon that had you know abilities and whatnot. It wasn't just a like a nice scimitar to start with. It was an actual magical scimitar.
2: I think that wasn't even as important as the fact that everything about my character pertained to having a scimitar. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so
0: which good. is why I made yes. sure you had one yes. by and, level two,
2: and that absolutely took a lot of the sting out of it. Right? Otherwise, Uchter. I mean, we saw how crippling it was having just a dagger.
1: Uh, Uchter, real quick. This is a quick question, but uh, Zenith just asked, "What is valo mechanically?"
2: It is a plus one. Cold iron, I forget what the axiomatic, an axiomatic scimitar,
0: which is the alignment, like the it's a lawful weapon, the same way that like a weapon can be holy or evil. Uh, axiomatic is you get, I think it deals an extra 2d6 versus chaotic creatures that that was kind of like a conversation that Nick and I had uh at the very beginning when I was like you're not going to start out with your scimitar just be warned uh then I got to thinking I was like all right well when will he get it back okay well if he's going to get it back at, in like the last encounter of book 2 I don't want it to just be like a scimitar or even a masterwork scimitar so like I can I can have some fun with this like what kind of like w- what kind of cool properties can I give it
2: because yeah, originally it wasn't like i asked for it to be special or was gonna buy a special one i was just gonna right. buy a normal scimitar to start with
0: any other thoughts on rogiar before we uh get too far off topic roguiar's character growth man i love all your guys characters so much i'm just
4: excited for the future is that like i don't there's always like all these things that i don't know and you would think as a player i would have like somehow more detail but i really don't so i'm so excited for the future
1: <laughs> Ooh, any plans to multi-class for rogiar um no plans in the near future <laughs> but uh yeah like it's weird in pathfinder i've never been a huge fan of like level dipping like that so i don't know we'll we'll see but
0: the real question is will uh rogiar stick around yeah. I don't know. We'll we'll see. Oh, yeah, dude, we'll see. Don't
4: don't don't play with me like that. Guys, come on. We're a team. <laughs> <laughs> We're a team. <laughs>
0: if Roger sticks around, it's Randolph Street. <laughs> um, I really like uh the it, i wouldn't call it character growth or development, but book two was the first time. Uh, back when we enter uh Roselar's tomb was like the first time in a while that the groups had to like go underground, and I like the way that Matt handled um, so like Rogiar was already kind of antithetical to uh, to dwarves in general, in that he prefers being out in the open and not being underground. Um, and then he had everybody had just leveled up, and Rogiar is like, I have permanent. All day at-will flight. We, All right, guys. Time to go underground. (laughs) Oh. Uh, How high are the ceilings? Uh, How how high is this uh, this ceiling room? (laughs) I'm sorry. Did you say
4: there was 15-foot clearance or or 20-foot? How how high was it? Yep.
1: (laughs) Every room, I gotta know.
0: (laughs) And then it wasn't just like... All right, we'll go underground and then we'll get it done and then we'll move on. It's like all right, let's go underground. Oh shit. Like things are just way too hairy in there. All right, we're we're coming back out. All right, going underground again. Oh my god, we got we got to leave again. Like it's, it's too much. All right, going underground again. And it's just like for somebody who's like borderline a phobia to be underground. It's like Please, just no more. Yeah. Like, I I think I remember, like, after after
1: we buried Thalias and we we're planning to go back in, like I don't know if I mentioned it in character, but I Ruger definitely had this this thought in his mind, like, all right, this is the last time. This has to be the last time we go in there. I don't know if I can do it again.
2: Yeah, He voiced that a couple times, like going mm. back into the tomb. Um let's do Utrid. Is Utrid the last one? I think Utrid is so. the last one. Yes. Well, then Yando. Yeah, then Yando. <laughs> yeah, I feel like Uchid has probably been like the most uh, kind of in the forefront in terms of character development. Yeah. Like, like the as a listener, you knew pretty early on that he didn't feel like he lived up to his title. And then book two was very much like a little glimpse into why he didn't, he felt such a way and kind of getting that redemption.
4: That redemption was so sweet, dude. Like, I was not expecting that. Took me by surprise and was just fucking so well done.
2: Yeah, I I didn't think that moment was going to come so early in the AP or really even if it would happen at all. Like, because I don't know if in the future the AP calls for like an actual Red Reaver, but that kind of caught me off guard a little bit. Yeah, I mean,
0: I think. If it was like if this was like a book or like a TV series or something, I think the Red Reaver definitely would have come later. But for you know, like that, this is where the the Gray Reaver was always going to be, mm. and we just kind of made it the like the nexus point, as Matt put it, of Uhtred's backstory. So yeah, it, it is a little early in the adventure for him to kind of get that kind of closure, but.
2: I think a big reason why it was kind of, like, shocking that it was coming so soon was when I built, like, Uhtred and his backstory, I had no idea that the Bastion of the Light had anything to do with this AP, like, at all. Let alone end up being, like, the mainstay of the back half of book two. So, when we, like, first came out from the grave, or the uh, the tomb, and it was the bastion of the light, like, in my head, I was like, holy fuck, what are the chances? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, so, yeah, that's kind of why it was shocking, because I was still grappling, like, holy fuck, this is, like, a pillar of my backstory that we're at right now. Oh, and then, like, here we go. There's a Grey Reaver here. I, I think, though, one of the biggest... Gross and developments for Uchu which he's kind of, like, hasn't fully, I think, in character grasped yet, is that his whole life was spent in Rossler's coffer. Like, the incident when he was young at the Bastion of the Light, he was 10 years old. He was a squire. like, And a few years after that incident, when he was, like, you know, not a squire anymore, he requested to be stationed at Rossler's coffer. So, I mean, basically, the last two-thirds of his life, he's spent living in Rossler's coffer versus, like, you know, with his family in Vigil. And I I think from the beginning of Book 1 to the very end of Book 2, U- in Utrud's head, the plan was always get back to the material plane, tell the appropriate people individual, what had happened and like, mi- that's mission accomplished. Right. And kind of everything we've gone through and like Uchud in particular, doing like coming across a lot of this research and digging into the past. I think the end of book two became a huge moment for him that this is like almost now a spiritual mission for him. Like the holy symbol of, uh, what's her name? Sarenrae. Yeah. There was so much fucking similarities between when you were describing that goddess and, like, Utrid and it's just developed from get back and complete your mission to, like, this is my life's purpose, and kind of unknowingly, like, I think what's going to develop for Utrid is he won't have earned the title of Keeper of the Light from killing that Grey Reaver, but his exploits going forward are what gonna put him in like remembrance for. And him kind of realizing he's got more of a religious connection than he truly ever realized before.
0: Yeah, and Sarenray, it's it's super appropriate that Utrid and Saren Ray are kind of tied together the way they are, because she's the goddess of the sun, honesty, healing, and redemption and i think two of those honesty and redemption are are pretty big for utrid because he's the the honesty is like be, like honesty
2: with himself right and the redemption part is pretty obvious too um and but, he, he kind of got his beginning of being honest with himself in the val, val- the beginning of the valthasar encounter like yeah. like he it was really the only time i think in Uhtred's adult life that anyone ever pointedly looked at him and said, like, you killed the Red Reaver, right? Or is that not true?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, everybody else was just like, you killed the Red Reaver. That's a fact. Right. But yeah, is the first person to be like,
2: right? Am I wrong? And Um, Uhtred, to me, feels like the only character that doesn't have some outside force that could want them to Abandoned the mission and, and go do that, right? Like, Rogar has his family. I mean, we weren't even sure Viper was going to stick around. Like, we kind of thought maybe we'll get back to Rastus Koffer and she'll just to go on our own way. Like, yeah,
0: I mean, yeah, Uhtred and I Thelias before he died, too. But yes, uh, by the end of Book 2, Uhtred is definitely the only person who's like, he, he is the most invested, I think, yeah. in the current mission. It's, you know... I, I, Every, every, it's every, what everybody's you know going to do right now but as far as like and like then what i i think utrecht is the only person who's like i'm gonna see this through the to the end no matter what i
1: think randolph's there too he just hasn't had the uh the the buildup that yeahrid has just from just from the nature of when he came into the group
4: yeah which is great because if i was there alone with the guys are we gonna Stick together and keep. <laughs> no, Utrid. Utrid's tree- Uhtred. <laughs> like my rock in that in that sense, which is great because we need somebody. The rest of you guys don't even care.
0: Yeah, so I'm I'm super excited, and and it's a testament to how uh, what what a thorough backstory uh, Nick made for Utrid. But we are definitely not done exploring his backstory, even though uh even though we we you know, did the Grey Reaver and everything and that was a, a huge point of closure for him. Uh there's definitely gonna be more to come there. It's cool because those uh, moments,
4: like, you think like, wow, that you know, that was a lot to uh go go through his backstory, but because it's so in depth, it just gives me that taste for like now I want more, right? Like Alright, you gave me that. What else is
0: there? I know I know there's more. I can't wait to like see when it just pops up. Uh, I I I want to say I want to say more, but I'm just I I want you to say more, but I also want to wait for it, so I'll, I'll wait for it. <laughs> oh man, I've got i got plans. Uh, let's leave it at that. All right, uh, let's let's do another round of uh, of questions. Questions. Hey, I got another cam question. How much of the character backstories were pre written with reflavoring compared to completely original concepts? If I can take a guess to if I can try to like paraphrase that, like how much have the backstories evolved since we began the campaign um, like retroactively? Well, I read it more like how... I always
1: read it as how much of them were purely made up by the players and how much of them were retooled by
0: you to fit the story that is ongoing. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I mean, we went over a couple already uh, where I kind of poked and prodded Tom a little bit for like, ah, hey, Vipera joined a, a gang? Like, hey, ah, Coffer Crew. Most of Nick's is pretty much
2: what I say, you. you know,
0: what he wrote. Uh, and I just kind of took that and, you know, connected some dots on my end, but like the actual backstory didn't really change. Um, I feel like for the most, but like besides the lies, because that one was like, like a completely comprehensive effort between joe and me yep yep i think for the most part the character backstories are pretty much you know as written i know with and with, with roguiar it was like
1: my backstory is just you know a guy living his life he's a family with two kids and like yeah like roguiar's backstory started unfolding episode one
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah like just like devoth matt Matt made his character's backstory like make completely have like no stakes for the for the campaign like' like with devoth is just like all oh, this stuff happened and then devoth like he traveled miles and miles and miles and miles and miles and now he's in the shackles and it's like, all right well that stuff happened but like I can't really do anything with that um. Oh, I mean, but I, did you, but, but you did. <laughs> I did eventually. But you did. I did eventually. But with Rogueyard, it was like even more so. Like, not only did this backstory take place miles and miles and miles away from the <laughs> setting, but also I was literally just a merchant. But, and nothing wrong with that. Yeah, real quick on
4: backstory: <laughs> Elias was, uh, was celibate, right? And uh, I uh, never, yeah. there was no one to. Not be there's no challenges. Yeah. <laughs> I heard the fucking dead, dead roads wandering around being yeah. miserable. What do you say? Never got to Get out of here, the firebugs. <laughs> I got, never got to play any part of that. And then he fucking got ripped in half. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, you're going to leave this town soon and go find uh, people. Like, oh, not you, Elias. And yes, Elias remained
0: celibate for the entire campaign, but in the end, he got split in half.
4: <laughs> Vi- Vipira was invisible to me, yes. I am saying that.
0: But yeah, uh for the uh for the the question itself uh, uh that we're answering right now. Um I might like be like, "Hey, in your backstory you say that, you know, this person was in your character's past. Uh could we change their name to this?" And 99% of the time the answer is like, "Yeah, sure." I'll be like, "All right, cool." And then like that'll give me permission to be like the name of that person is this character who has like, you know, a direct line to the the campaign. Now I can like work with that, work that better, work that into the into the story. But f- yeah, for the most part, it's just kind of what was written by the players, which is pretty awesome. Because like for Skull and Shackles, that wasn't really the case. A lot of it was the players kind of making some cliff notes on their characters, and I would kind of like weave something around that. I think it's a testament to how much everybody's grown as, you know, storytellers in their own right that everybody's got such full backstories that I that don't really need much from me, yeah, to make them workable. Okay. Moving on. Here's a Lord Richter quest- question. Uh, how many of you are still using the LR Power Dice TM. Their trademark. Um <laughs> Yep. Mine uh Mine sit
4: next to my desk, and I pick them up for the critical combat rolls. I don't really use them for any skill checks or anything, but when I need to deliver a, a mighty blow, I'll pick up a LR Paradise, usually the D20. I, I picked up Matt. I don't think you left it in, but one time I picked up all of them. <laughs> or the first time I used them, I rolled them, and you're like, Joe, you
0: can't roll them. Yeah. <laughs> No, he, d- he did not leave that out. That is in there. <laughs> oh, that's in there? Uh, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. To my memory, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, no. We all used the power dice. Um, <clears throat> I gotta say, <laughs> because of a bit of a mix-up at first, at first, Richter sent us just like a whole bag with like five, five or six sets of dice in it. And at the time, whether it was because we weren't all meeting in the same place or because like some people just didn't want to take them home, or whatever the reason was. They ended up staying at my place. So they got mixed where in. They
0: were, where they were ultimately forgotten about, and then it was blamed on me somehow Cause... that not everybody had their power dice. <laughs>
4: well, that makes sense.
0: Don't worry, Matt. I won't let you forget that little detail. I'm, I'm fine with that, because now it works out
2: that I have five power dice. Oh, that's why fucking Rogier's blowing things apart. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, I would say for me, when I first started using the power dice, would play like whole sessions, just kind of like twirling it in my hand and stuff, like almost like a little fidget thing. Uh, from the minute the dice got ripped apart so brutally and devastatingly. <laughs> I think it was probably a good two or th- three weeks before I even picked it up again.
4: I can't look and at you, <laughs> you monster! Now it's,
2: it's kind of hit or miss. Sometimes I'll pick it up. Sometimes I'll I'll go a session without picking it up. It's tough to pick it up and not think of the lies, though. Yeah,
0: they're
4: not tainted at all.
0: <laughs> uh, let's do another question. Uh, this one is from J Train from Discord. Uh, is there a plot hook that you can't wait to find out the secret of?
4: Ooh, I gotta think about that. Hmm. The um, um. the dead roads. I'm curious if they're ever coming back, or if there's people coming from them. Like, are we going to be haunted from that that experience, or are we kind of done with that? We'll never experience that again. That's that's like a big one on huh. my mind because that place sucked. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's it's a good way to put it, I guess. But that place really took a toll on me uh, as a gamer. That place sucked, and it was fun, but it sucked.
1: Yeah, the dead roads were rough. I'll say for me, I think it's I want to find out why we basically got a second body when we came back instead of like restoring our souls to. Like, the already existing bodies? Like, there were zombie versions of us back on the material plane, and then we came back from the boneyard with these, like, O-balls, and somehow that generated, like, new bodies for us. So, like, are we just, like, are we the echo spirits of of us? Or were we the... Uh,
2: but wouldn't our goggles tell us that did our goggles tell us that we are alive like we're not
1: well it's like we yeah that's the whole thing spirit
2: wouldn't be alive
1: i mean fucking magic
0: is weird but that's i'm just thinking it's more a matter of like phantoms aren't undead right like the flyest phantom isn't undead so there's definitely like spirit like wonkiness that can happen that wouldn't be betrayed by the the sight of your goggles
2: I would agree with Matt. My time would be with the ovals themselves. Like, we we literally have gotten nothing zero on that.
1: Yeah. Other than, yeah, little bits of, like, some of the protections they offer. But we are no closer to knowing how or why we got them than we were when we woke up in that tomb.
2: Or, like, who did them, right? Like, I mean, it, it feels more and more like a god had to intervene, to do such a thing at this point. So I'd be interested to see who that ends up being. Yeah. There's,
0: there's a lot of, uh, a lot of really big questions that this campaign has that like a, a lot of APs are just kind of like, you know, you, you've got some intrigue in the background, like a, like a twist villain to be, to be revealed. But King maker what has, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, this this one just like it starts you off with like in, enjoy this this mystery that defies all rules of 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 re of the reality that your characters occupy. Uh episode one. Go. Yep. Yep. Any other uh Dude, there's so many questions so many
4: questions I have like all the time. Can you answer the dead road uh, ones for me? Like are we ever gonna
0: <laughs> No. No, I can't I'm not I'm not gonna answer. Uh, one thing I really like about the other question that you guys went over with like the O balls is you're all operating on the assumption. I'm not saying that it's an incorrect assumption, but it's the like you're all operating under the assumption that these were put in you pointedly on purpose for some specific reason. And not
2: accidentally.
0: It was <laughs> whoopsie, <just> a, poopsie! <laughs> it was just a thing that happened. That's
4: interesting. I, you're right. I never considered that. Yeah, ever. And at even all.
2: though you present it, I still have a hard time considering it. I reject Yay. it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Especially considering when we woke up in Russell Lars' room on the Boneyard, like the carving of the red shrikes in that room, like bore a kind of striking resemblance to us as
0: a group. That's true.
4: Here's one. The rest of the world, totally normal, except for our little adventures on the dead roads and the bubble we were in. Like everything so else is just normal. Like Maybe it's like a I'm the center of my universe thing where if something that crazy happens to me, I can't believe that other people haven't gone, you know, that well, everything's just normal elsewhere. I, I don't believe yeah. that. That's one thing you're not You're it, like, oh, yeah, like everything's normal. It's just you. I, I don't know about that. I got questions it's like
0: um when Aria was born my my oldest daughter she's 8 it took me the longest time to get over the fact that there were kids younger than her
1: <laughs> yeah it was it was always this
0: weird like it was it would it would happen and then I'd get over it like immediately but it was always this very quick existential crisis Whenever I would meet a child younger than R, I'd be like, wait, people are still having kids.
2: <laughs> How'd you make it through having your second kid?
0: <laughs> I mean, I got over that eventually, but like <laughs> it was probably a couple years where like I would see a I would see a baby and be like, That's the weirdest fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. But yeah, anyway, like I can I I see the you know what yeah what Joe was getting yeah. at though, where it's just like this absolutely insane thing happened to us, but like the rest of like people Don't are just living their this? lives right now. Yeah, it's just yeah. regular time. What? All right, let's do one more question and then we'll move on to another. Uh, am I saying this right? Ilneo? Yeah, I think that's right. Okay. Ilneo from discord asks Alex, what content do you not allow in your games? And why is Kineticist now on said list. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking
2: got him. Yeah.
0: Um, no, Kineticist is still still allowed, sadly. Uh, so, I, th- it, I think it's 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 easier to say what books I do allow, uh, and that's only because there's so many books. That oh, yeah, uh, we're constantly that getting it in that.
4: Or- yeah, how many times <laughs> have we gone to Alex and said, "All right, check this uh, feet or you know." armor or something. Check uh, out this um, cool
1: thing I want to do. And Alex is like, no, no being cool.
2: Not allowed. Well, in Skull and Shackles, that was called making a Tom. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
0: Tom would be like,
2: I- Scram
0: got a couple new level uh spells this yeah, level, uh, but I'm gonna make those a surprise.
3: <laughs> Tom, you're using them wrong. Tom, not from the right source. Yeah. I miss that. That was great. Oh my God.
2: And and that's um, not even to say that Tom did it more than anyone else. I think it just happened to me on the last level or two levels ago in Tyrant's Grass, where I was like, "Yo, this sweet thing," and had to hear. Well, yeah.
0: Tom always <laughs> bit himself in the foot though, because he'd like make such a I, I fucking hassle abs- out of. <laughs> yep. <laughs> he'd make
1: a show out of it, and then be like, "Oh,
0: <laughs> yeah." Be like coming soon to a podcast <laughs> near you. My newest spell—it's gonna drive you crazy. Be like fucking BuzzFeed, but like his just his fucking new like level up spells, only for the page to not load. Yeah. All right. So, legal books in my campaigns: core rulebook, advanced players' guide, and then Pathfinder Unchained, uh, advanced race guide. Any book with Ultimate in it, like Ultimate Intrigue, uh, Ultimate Combat, Ultimate Magic, and then any book with adventures in it, like... Like Planar adventures, adventures? Horror Adventures. But I think that's all of them. I've got a full list somewhere, yeah. but like...
1: Uh, Lydia Toast, with a
0: quick follow-up, why do you specifically limit it to those books? Most people who remember D&D 3.5 and the... Shortcomings that that system eventually had was something called bloat. And it was because 3.5 had so much material that eventually it became impossible to keep all of that material balanced within itself. It was impossible to manage everything without leaving exploits in the system because there were so many options. That you could scour the all the different sources long enough and eventually find enough exploits at the right moments and create a character that was fully legal within the rule set and also no longer any fun, at least in my opinion. I because gotcha. you're just like, this character deals, and I think this was an actual build. Like twelve hundred damage every round with magic missiles, like it, it was just it, it it became insane, and and Pathfinder there's definitely bloat in Pathfinder first edition, but like obviously not nearly as much as three point five got, and and my, my my very first experience gming uh, for Pathfinder, I think at all it was Pathfinder first edition. Uh, <laughs> I, I ran a little group consisting of Andrew and I think Nick and a couple other people. And it was mostly because Andrew was still at a point in his TTRPG career where he loved to exploit and it was just fun for him to just be like, look at these humongous numbers. And that's fine. But you take that kind of uh, motivation and say, hey, first time GM, can I be a necromancer? And also, can I use a bunch of 3.5 material, even though we're doing Pathfinder? And that first time GM, who just wants everybody to have fun and doesn't want to come off as mean or like a dictator GM, go, sure, you can do whatever you want, as long as everybody's having fun. And yeah, so then that character becomes like this horrible unstoppable narrative slaying PC. That kind of stuck with me. Uh, that was like my that was my first time GMing like a campaign and it was like a pretty long-term thing. Uh, and that kind of worked into the like the foundation of the way I GM I think it's
2: important to note too that that happened when we were like fourteen.
0: No, it no, it wasn't. Didn't. We were, we were, we were out of high school. Were we out of high school? Because oh yeah, because this was after I thought we were in high school. No,
1: because because this was like I remember this was like after I had invited Alex to join our group with like that the campaign that andrew was running where alex showed up with uh major biff biff his halfling barbarian as the only frontliner (laughs) in the group (laughs) and it was like not too too long after that that you decided to try your hand at gming and andrew was like yeah i'll play
0: (laughs) and yeah and so major biff biff was that was hudson valley i was probably 20 So I'd say I'd say that campaign that I ran was I was probably 21 or 22. So but yeah, so, you know, I'm trying to find my footing as a GM and like that was a a humongous barrier, a humongous obstacle that I kind of had to be like, well, if I ever want to have fun GMing, I need to find a way to counter this or like negate this problem that I perceived which was if I let the PC, if I give PCs free reign with you know, whatever they want to do, they will inevitably make characters that I can't control. And I know that the spirit of the game is you shouldn't be controlled and I get that. And that's why ultimately I still try to stay hands off pretty much for when you're making your characters, but that is why I have that built in, chassis of I guess it's a more limited playground but still a very robust one in my opinion I mean every single class is, is allowed I I don't I don't ban any classes any archetypes at least you know as long as they're in those books but and I think I've gotten better as uh as I've gone uh there have been there have been times where be like, nope. Th- these are the rules. This is the what. This is what it says, and this is the way we're going to do it. Even though this specific circumstance is like so far removed from, you know, what these rules were intended to cover, uh, I don't care. That's the way we're going to do it.
2: You have <laughs> grown a lot <laughs> over the years. Utred for sure has at least one feat that is from an unapproved source. So you have you've come a long way in the sense that you at least. Like, listen to what somebody's presenting and kind of analyze it. And there's been more and more instances as we go on that you're willing to let something in.
0: That's true. I I think what is most important for me in this dynamic is that this isn't just me going, oh, what is this spell that you want to take? And then, like, looking at me and being like, I don't like that spell. You can't take it but instead we're all going into this with this pre-made list that everybody agrees to. And obviously like there's some contention sometimes. And like Nick said, I've, you know, I've gotten good at being like, all right, well, like if you really, really, really feel like this specific book should be removed from the band list, like, let me take a look at it and I'll let you know what I think. Um, but, I guess that's that was a big roundabout way to get to lady of toasts follow up of why those books specifically. And that is um because the ones that I do list are the those are like the flagship books uh for the rules. Like the all the other books are kind of like companions to those books or supplements to those books. And there are a couple other there are some books that are like, you know, the, like their own thing, but like the ones that are allowed, like those are like the big ones. Those are the cornerstones of the rule system. And like, and because of that, they get the most attention. They get the most um, play testing. They get the most uh, like reworks. Uh, And so when they finally go to print, they're going to be the most balanced and the most uh, thought through and, the less like wonky like if you look at a lot of the spells that like going back to scram where he was just like this spell it does this and this and this and this got all these moving pieces like like a lot of times like that would be the telling part of it where it's like i bet this is from a band book <laughs> because tom's just going through like this spell and i'm like this is so wordy and it's making no sense and there's all these like Like, what happens, like, in this scenario, or or if, if this thing is in play? Like, if the spell doesn't take those things into account, I have no idea what I would do in those circumstances. And then I look it up and I go, oh, that's why. It's because it's from, you know, one of these other books. And that's not to say that every single spell or every single feat from those books are bad or unbalanced. Or even that those are unbalanced. Like, but they're clearly... There, there's a level of proofreading, of playtesting that the books that I allow are given above and beyond what yeah, it, the banned books are. In the same
4: vein, um, you have a comfortability with the books that you do allow. And to your credit, you're very good with all of those rules. And sp- like, you know, most of that stuff. I mean, you'll have to look yeah. stuff up, obviously, sometimes, but like. I always feel like you're, like, right on top of everything. There's no, like, oh, geez, I don't know what that does. Can you read it for me? Let me think about it. Let me, you know, deliberate on it. You're like, yeah, oh, I-, I know this. Boom. Let's at, at the
0: very least, most of the time, like, if somebody, like, takes a spell or a feat that's from a banned book, I usually know because I don't recognize it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like they're like, I took this spell, and like they're going into it, and I'm already like googling like what book is this spell from because I doubt it's from a, an allowed one. Yeah, you're you're very good at uh, that.
4: You've come a really long way too. Like I, I'm constantly shocked at you and Matt, uh, just like the knowledge of the actual uh, module or whatever you know that you guys actually know. You're like your actual book knowledge.
0: Yeah, it's pretty impressive well, thank stuff. You. Yeah. I, I hope that was a satisfying answer. I know it's it's kind of a contentious thing with a lot of people. Um, and like obviously every table has their own preferences. Uh, we're not gonna we're not gonna jive with everybody with the stuff that I do or don't allow. Uh, but hopefully that explanation at, at least you can, you can you can understand where we're coming from. I'm probably never ever going to just be like, you know what? all books are allowed. And that's just kind of the way I am. Uh, it's his evolution. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, all right. So let's uh, let's move on to our next topic, uh, and that's uh, player thoughts on book two. Uh, let's just do an open discussion, initial impressions, lasting impressions, the story, the characters, the pacing, like whatever. Like, you know, how did book two stand up to book one in any of those categories? Who book, wants to go first?
4: Book two is more familiar, and I like familiar. Book one was really hard for me. Like, it's really hard to get thrown into that world in the fucking yeah, dead you're just like and, basically in
0: outer space yeah, for the entire that book. that was
4: really tough. So book two really, um, I mean, even though I started had a, a little reset <laughs> mid-book, uh, just the, the comfortability of the setting, you know, at least having been used to it, you know, getting... A, because I never played anything like that before. When you said, you, you know, this is going to be new for you guys, I was like, yeah, okay, bullshit, you know, whatever. it'll be like every other one. <laughs> but then I'm in there and I'm like, wow, holy shit. It's just like a shell shock, you know. And then book two, it was like, uh, you know, it's similar, but I have had that background now. I do at least know sort of maybe what's coming a little bit. So I, yeah. I like book two a lot in that regard. And We're I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited to see where it goes from here because book two sort of feels like that transition book for me where book one is you're in outer space. Book two is welcome back to Earth. And then book three for me is so what's Earth like again? <laughs> you know, like, what <laughs> So are,
0: what are
1: we actually doing here? <laughs>
4: what, yeah, yeah what, what
0: is, <laughs> Book two is book two is reentry. Yeah. And then book three is actually landing. Yeah. It's taking us 50 episodes we're finally getting
1: into the story guys. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I think book 2 for me was exhausting. And not in like a like a bad way, but in like uh-huh. book 1 we kind of had this nice little intermission at Kishikish where there was no immediate danger like we we had a meal, we had like, you know, a nice little talk. Like a recharge type of day, a little mini vacation, right? And then book two has just literally been dropped in. We did not get that nice little intermission break. Like every night was people crippled, not just hit, hit points wise. And I think on top of the fact that like book one was such a build up to like Joe was saying, it's like outer space. But when we got back, it was not familiar at all. Everything was like, this is just as fucking weird in a completely different way.
4: Yeah, true.
2: And I think, yeah, I, I, I total, I totally
0: get the exhausting thing because it's like with book one, like, yeah, you had the the Kishikish thing in the middle, but even like even that aside, all the danger was like in these specific locales. And book one was you guys traveling from one locale to another. Yeah. So like you finish a way station, you're like, well, that place was bonkers, but like now we're just on the dead roads and things are quiet now and we can collect ourselves until we get to the next way station. Book two was basically one giant way station.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It really was. So it
0: was just there was no there was no like, all right, like that dangerous past, time to, you know, get back on the road and you know we have a day or two to just kind of collect ourselves it's just like it is you are just stuck in Salaghar scriptorium for all of book 2
2: yeah that's a good way of putting it <laughs> and that came across right like yeah no i it, it was
0: totally i totally i felt exhausted with you guys
3: i will say um once again i i think i covered this at the book 1 um at the end of book 1 but i always find that civilization is the ultimate like checkpoint kind of thing you just you know you're safe there at the very least you know you're not getting tossed into a dungeon uh you know right then and there it's just a it's just a good checkpoint and we haven't hit that yet and it is uh it it's just starving uh i I'm starving for just any outside uh, influence whatsoever.
1: Yeah, like the fact that we've gone fifty episodes and we have yet to find anywhere like where we can buy and sell items. It's literally just been only yeah. what we found along the way for two
2: full books. That's been we've a got very our- different dynamic. <laughs> like, got our
4: fucking shopping carts with all our trash in it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Go down the road with. With Skull and Shackles, uh, it was all of book one that was like no shopping uh, and you couldn't do any like actual shopping until you got to rickety squibs. But uh, in the meantime, you still had the pirate ship like you were still you were still in this like social setting that had like s- like it had its own even little it was economy. Just- Yeah, like, you could go to Grok's quartermaster's office and be like, well, I found this uh, peg leg with a silver band on it. What can I get for that? But, yeah, with Tyrant's Grasp, it was two books, and both books were meatier than uh, the first two books of Skull and Shackles, and just nothing, like, absolutely no semblance whatsoever of trading, rest and respite. You know, Uh, that's
4: got me thinking... uh what if Yando actually sucks and it's just because we got like a Tom Hanks castaway <laughs> type thing going on? Like, oh my God, a person. <laughs> like, he's the best. Yes. <laughs> have gonna realized he actually like just really sucks.
0: <laughs> you guys are going to get to a town and be like, we made it, right, Yando? And he's just a volleyball with a face on it. <laughs> you just collectively are like, well, we're never going to speak of that ever again.
4: <laughs> Brush that aside. <laughs>
0: anybody else have thoughts uh, thoughts on book two uh, I, I'm I'm kind of hesitant to say that it was deadlier than book one because I mean it I literally
1: mean, was because someone died but
0: yeah statistically yes it was deadlier than book one but I don't know I felt like book book one had just as many grueling like like we have nothing for this fight kind of fights.
4: Say you don't consider me a character without <laughs> saying you don't consider me a character, Alex, how hurtful.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
4: book one is deadlier. I know what you mean though. You're you you've expressed it perfectly. Like, I think
2: that's also a little bit of a, the reflection of difference in levels between the books. Like Yeah. Take eight a certain- damage in book one and you're like, Oh my god! Uh, yeah. I might be unconscious.
4: I have nothing to deal with this. I can't even be inventive about it.
0: I just have right. nothing. You're right. Um, how about um, Big Bad Evil Guys of book one, book two? Very different. Uh, almost like Apples and Oranges, too. True, true. As, as like a narrative. Because like, book one, you have McTana, who is voiced by my wife, Michelle. And there's like this big buildup to this final showdown. And then book two, it was also a very personal fight in that you were fighting your own undead corpses but then like the actual like perpetrator was just this dude that you'd only kind of heard about any thoughts on like 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 your your takeaways from you know both of those like did one kind of hit harder than the other i would definitely
1: say that like mctana was definitely more impactful narratively than Than uh, Valthazar was. Because like. It never felt like Valthazar was like. Pulling the strings and manipulating us. Into a situation. He was just the obstacle at the end. That was standing in our way. Mictena always felt like. She was this shadowy force. That was constantly. Poking and prodding at us. And it was like. She was something we had to overcome. Whereas Valthazar
0: was just kind of there at the end. I considered giving him kind of a build up in the same way that I gave McTana because I I think I went over this for our book one retrospective, but uh if I had done McTana the way the book had her, it would have been pretty similar to Valthazar's fight, where like besides that first initial interaction you have with her through the Witch Crow in the ghost of Roslar's coffer, that would have been the last you you like spoke with her or even heard of her before you got to death Um, Like she might've come up once or twice in dialogue with NPCs, but like I added all the, like each time you got your stamp of passage, like she would have another message for you. So by the time you got to death Bower, it was like the, the, the stakes were really ramped up. Um, and I, I considered trying to do something like that with Valthazar, but I, al- I kind of, decided that less was more with him because with the the, you've got the zombified versions of yourselves that you have to fight after picking through the like the ashes of roslar's coffer and it almost seemed like the less personal he felt the more personal it would have been because it was like Like, it's like the dead roads. It's like, whatever. Like, we have no emotional or historical attachment to that. But, like, McTana is like, like this very impassioned uh, villain that we need to uh, go through in order to get home. But, like, now we're home. Who could do this? Who is so, like, who has such a vendetta against Roselar's coffer that they would do this to these people, that they would do this to us? What drives them? And then you meet the person behind it and he's just like, Oh, hello, who are you? And
1: he's not even the well, he's not even the one that did it. He's the one that put up the cloud, but he's not the one that right. destroyed the town. But right. I yeah, that's true. I do think the thing with Valthazar too is he was he was kind of built up by the cultists that we interrogated. So like we're going through this whole thing, like, oh man, we gotta build this up. We got a fucking vampire we gotta take down. And we get there and he's just a guy. So yep. like even what little build up there was was kind of building up to a letdown when we met him directly.
0: Yeah. So like in in almost every way it was just subverted expectations and I kind of liked that. It it made for a less memorable encounter I think altogether, but I I think I think I really like that anyway because you guys were like it, it, the the setting itself, the stakes themselves, they were so much higher, it was so much more personal that when you finally got to this guy, you're like, who can we aim this, uh, like, all this frustration at? Who can we take vengeance out on? And it's just this dude who's just like, I'm just here for information. Like, none of this means anything to me. This is just another job. So I really like that.
2: I'll say that uh, uh, I felt like it, like we For me, what I kind of envisioned in my head when we were going down the dead roads was like um, from Dragon Ball when Goku's running down the afterlife snake road or whatever. Snake way. Snake way, right? And like these way stations would just kind of like, you know, be there out of the mist. And it made sense that like, obviously, McTana would know that we're doing this and ultimately knowing they have to come to me anyways with book two it felt like we snuck in and we were like had this vibe of like you were trying to avoid the spotlight of detection so it made more sense that valthasar wasn't just like popping up randomly and saying like i know you're in there yeah that's true
0: i kind of i was playing with the idea at one point for like once you got into the bastion of light for there to be like some like weird like pa system where you guys would just, like, randomly hear Valthazar be like, attention, everybody, the lunch uh, lunch menu for today is Sloppy Joe's, or, like, just, like, some weird shit like that. Um, so, like, there would still be some sort of, like, presence that he would have uh, once you got there. But ultimately, yeah, like, the whole point is he doesn't know that you're coming. Uh, or at least, like, he doesn't know when you're coming. He doesn't really know who you are. Like, he might know that there's some people causing havoc in the town but it's beneath his it's been beneath beneath him to like step in at any point.
3: Actually I have a question. Was uh was the boss fight with uh Balthazar entirely avoidable? Like could we have just Yeah, all right, you you have your job, we have ours. Let's move on.
0: No, there was no like pacifist route through Valthazar in the same way that there was uh, written into the McTaina fight. Um,
4: Peace was never an option.
0: Yeah, because the, the only way out of the town was to get the key that he was holding in order to get the festering, the fettering maw, and then you have to destroy it to lift the fog, and he wasn't going to give you the key you know, without killing him first right uh, so yeah you're always gonna have to fight and kill him let's do a couple more questions before we uh, get to our final final stuff uh, here's a lady of toast question from discord uh, favorite behind the scenes moment I
2: don't know there, there's just like a lot of stuff that never even comes close to making it in the episode because it's nothing even related that makes me want to pee my pants from laughter <laughs>
0: All right, I I've, I've got one but it's from it's from book 1 uh but it's I I kind of get why Matt took it out but it was uh <laughs> it was during the McTana fight and uh, everybody's like tripping vipera so she can't get to her and finally someone was like, "Joe, just fucking grapple her so like we can we can stop doing this." And uh <laughs> so then like as as Vipera, I go. What are you doing, Step Thelias? Uh When he, he pins Vipera to the floor.
4: Yeah, that I was I, that was That's horrible. Uh, I thought it was.
0: I thought it was gold. Uh, and Matt robbed you all of uh, of of my comedic genius by uh, by cutting that. But. That that that's what immediately comes to me of like favorite behind the scenes moment. We don't have a whole lot of those where it's like, oh, that was way too inappropriate for for the show. Yeah, we we've, we've, we've matured. I, yeah. We've matured quite a lot from uh, I will from say Scarlet shackles. Uh, I think
4: in terms of behind the scenes, what Alex misses a lot <laughs> because he'll have to deal with like uh, the girls or people banging or some bullshit, right? <laughs> like we'll just be like, all right, so what's up and we'll just be bullshitting and talking about stuff without uh alex and sometimes uh you know we talk about him or like it's just like a fun like hey don't tell him all Right, we get, we get like a like a five minute pause to just say whatever and it's yeah. like sometimes it's really cool to have like the player because he's the gm right so the g while the gm's away the boys will play type deal you know so we'll, <laughs> like sometimes it'll be like oh shit like what what's the football game like and then you know there's some fantasy football or you know something will have just happened in the in the story and we'll discuss that or you know something's yep. coming up or
2: sometimes we we'll it's just story yeah yeah
4: <laughs> it's just like really interesting that's like the biggest behind the scene things for me is when uh alex is away for like a five ten minute piece like it's i'm always having fun during those times even even so just- not playing
0: so Joe's favorite thing uh, is you're not anytime we're not talking about Pathfinder <laughs> or <laughs> the podcast. Oh, no,
4: because a lot of the times we still are, <laughs> but it's in a, it's, you know what I mean? It's in a different, like, uh, a different vein where it's like, all right, Alex is not here. What's the real story, guys? <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. All right. I see how it is. Um, all right. Let's do one more question before we move on. Uh, let's do another cam question. Knowing what you know now, would you have built your character differently? That's a good one.
1: Yes, I would have made Rogueyard even deadlier.
0: <laughs> Is that? I possible? would have made Rhaegar. <laughs> <laughs>
4: I would say yes, for sure, Aunt Elias. Probably not with uh. The other one, Randolph, because I sort of just made him, so I sort of do know what I know. I didn't learn that right. much. You, you actually between. got well,
2: to make those changes.
4: Yeah. But Thalias for sure. Uh,
0: what would you have done differently?
4: Well, he wouldn't have been celibate in the Dead Roads, I'll tell you that. <laughs> you wanted to fuck
1: everything.
4: <laughs> well, it doesn't make any sense. I would have done something that made a little more sense. And uh, I think I just would have built him a little differently. He still would have had a shovel. The shovel was, I mean, love that thing. But his his actual mechanical build would have been different. I didn't love his actual mechanical build. Not with Rogyarder or how okay. doing the shit he was doing. Let's put it that <laughs> way.
2: Anybody else? Um, I wouldn't. I know. I know. We joke about the uh, not having a, my scimitar and that stuff. But
1: well, actually, yeah. for that, my my question for you, Nick, is like would you have focused so heavily on basically the, like the intimidation aspect knowing how, (laughs) how much that's not going to help against undead for most of this campaign? Would you have leaned into like maybe some of the other parts of Magus instead of Um, that?
4: Ooh, that's a good one.
2: Not really. I tend to find that I have the most fun when I'm most invested in the character itself. Like, that is what I wanted to play. I made Utrid like, months before we finished Skull and Shackle. Like, um, So, for me, I'd rather play a character that's not optimal in a situation, but I really love the character, than playing a character that's more optimal that maybe I wasn't, you know, as thrilled on or kind of sacrifice things just to make him easier.
4: That's a good point. It's and not a I, bug, I think it's a, a lot feature.
2: Yeah, and a lot of that <laughs> came from actually playing Manny and like not having my rifle, and I felt like it was fun to be impactful through other means than what I originally built him to do.
1: That's awesome.
0: That's a good, know that, good philosophy. Uh, I know Nick has had Utrid's entire build locked from day one. He's just like, every single level is fully booked. There's no room to make any new choices. Well, that's only to so. like,
2: level 11. I think that's as far as I like, built out the actual, like, oh. scaling. Oh, Wishful okay. thinking. And that's not totally true. You did have some influences that there were certain uh, feats, I think at least one or two that I haven't taken yet, that uh, oh, okay. I settled on through you. Even, here's a good example, um, Vallow, when Alex originally said, like, hey, I, I think I want to make it more than just a regular scimitar. He asked my input, well, he presented it, and I said, actually, instead of what it is currently, yeah, the axiomatic and the plus one cold iron, I asked for it to be a keen scimitar. And then when we got got closer to me getting it back, he brought that topic back up, and it was like, you know, a book and a half removed since the last time we talked about it. And Have
0: you realized why you're wrong and I'm right yet?
2: I, I did, and I said that to you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, ha- having more information in the AP and playing, it was the right choice. So, yeah, no, that's true, uh,
0: and I'm and I'm glad you uh, I'm glad you went with that because, like, another reason why I picked Axiomatic was because it was like different, and I was I never heard just of it. Kinda, yeah, and like it's, it's probably it's from still, an you know, source. yeah i got bad news nick but yeah it it was you know it's like oh it's a plus one keen scimitar how like you know how fun uh and for if you're just like a crit fishing build like yeah that is a lot of fun that's exactly what you want your character to do but like utrid can give his scimitar keen anytime he wants but then axiomatic like, that by itself gives the weapon more of a personality, in my opinion. And it gives you a uh, an interesting edge where a lot of the times you wouldn't have that. But, yeah, so I'm, I'm glad we uh, uh, ended up going back with that. Anyone else have any comments on that question? Uh, would have built their characters different knowing what they know now? Um, I don't... Yeah, like, I don't think I would have... Built Rogier any different?
1: Like I always knew from the start that I wanted him to be very air focused. My big decision, I think it was like at level two, was deciding whether or not I wanted the the long jump talent or the uh, the basically like permanent feather fall talent. And uh, yeah, like even going back, I think I made the right call with the long jump, with the jumping talent, because that just felt more like Roger was just trying to fly the whole time
0: until he finally figured it out. Yeah, I like that. Okay. Um so here's our last uh open discussion. Uh player thoughts on what's to come Be- beyond this retrospective. We've done a couple sessions into book 3, but I think it's it was it was kind of a perfect amount because it's really we kind of left off like at the precipice of like book three proper, in my opinion. Like the sessions that we that we did were kind of like a build up to, like actually get into the meat of of the book. They were, so there were really more hasn't of, like
1: they were more of like an intermission between books two and three. Yeah, yeah.
0: So there really hasn't really been a whole lot of like spoiling for the the players beyond what like even the listeners would know. Uh, as far as what book three has in store for them, uh, so yeah, like what 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 does everybody think is is waiting for us in book three? Uh, where where do you think the story's going, or you know what you know any any like big hail mary predictions on like a big bad guy or you know whatever? I mean, we've already been kind of warned that.
1: This uh, Gildeus guy is probably waiting for us in in Vigil somewhere. But my big thinking is all this time we've been building up to, like, we have to get out of Roslar's coffer. We have to get to Vigil. We have to warn the Knights of Ozum what's happening. And I'm thinking that either the Knights of Ozum are just going to flat out not believe us, despite being offered whatever proof we might have, or they're going to be so... Inept and inconsequential in the grand scheme of things in Last Wall, that it's just gonna be like, okay, oh no, the Whispering Tyrant's coming back, but we can't do anything about it. So, like, the PCs are all gonna have to be like, oh, fuck it, we'll do it ourselves.
3: <laughs> okay. You know, one of my, uh I haven't dropped this <laughs> since we got here, it, like, at the very start of book two, there was a guy who was with us on the dead roads and came along with us but he wanted to explore the rest of the world i think he's going reed reaper what oh yeah yeah the uh, reed reaper reed reaper i i wonder if he's going to play something bigger here i don't know just the, just something the way how he left off with us it, uh, there's just been uh that little inkling in the back of my head
1: yeah, I will say I completely forgot about him, but that's a good point, Tom. Like I do hope he comes back because I know he, he kinda like got off of uh Barzak's Wild Ride before we did. So <laughs> it, it'll be interesting to see where he comes back. If he be comes back. Keisha
4: Keisha. <laughs> yeah, Keisha Keisha, yeah. Tell me he has a, a pivotal role for all six of the books. Like that guy's a legend.
0: <laughs> oh, he really is. Um I don't want to say he's never coming back. Then don't say he's coming uh, back. Just give, <laughs> give me what I want. It's so simple. <laughs> You're the GM. Just do it. <laughs> He'll give you whatever you, you want. Um, I would I would love to see more of Kishikish, and I'll uh if if I need to if I need to do a little bit of work to uh, to make that happen, then I that I wouldn't consider that work i would uh yes i i won't i won't bring kisha kish back if i can't think of a good way to do it right. but yeah i i would definitely love to see kisha kish come back into the story fuck yeah all right uh let's uh let's let's end things with uh maybe one or two more questions here's another question from casual chaos why is Rogiar so afraid of being underground, going against the norm for a dwarf? Um, unfortunately, this one doesn't have any, like, big super
1: secret uh, family trauma background or anything like that. Rogiar was just, like, he grew up in Highhelm, which is kind of like the dwarven, one of the major dwarven cities. It's called the Dwarven Skykeep. And, I don't know, he was just always kind of a weird kid. He always... When he was like sitting in class or whatever, growing up, he was always just looking out the window, daydreaming what it would be like to be a bird, what it would be like to fly. And yeah, he's always just been kind of uncomfortable underground. He's always just had this obsession with like the freedom that the sky represents. So underground was just always uncomfortable for him. That was all.
0: He's just a weirdo. Yeah. Just a weird dwarf. (laughs) Sometimes it's that simple.
2: I have a question for you. Okay. Um, Hold on. I got a question for huh? Matt. Okay. Uh, What's up? Have you looked into, like, what what element will Rodeyard be taking next? Uh, earth or fire? Well. Or heart, if you could tease. <laughs> <laughs> See,
1: that I honestly don't know because I could just take the other. You wa- double up. Yeah, I could take the oh, other that, water or the other hair. air. Like, I could take air again to get. Electricity stuff, or I could take water again to get actual water stuff instead of ice. Um, or I could take the the ether one. Oh yeah, which has like telekinetic abilities and and whatnot. Um, and sorry, Lord Richter, but wood and void are not allowed from. They're not from allowed sources because <laughs> I I really looked into like the void stuff, especially as a second element. That would have been so much fun, but. Yeah, unfortunately, that's that's no go. But yeah, honestly, I don't know what I'm gonna take because I honestly wasn't planning on taking water at at uh, at seventh level. That was more of a choice of necessity because I felt like we needed some more healing, <laughs> and that was the only way to get it. <laughs>
4: Unbelievable, this fucking guy.
0: <laughs> um, question from uh, from the audience. I feel like I I always. Get this guy's name wrong in my head, Zenithos. Zenithos? Yeah, Zenithos. Who's take? Who's going to be taking leadership to keep Yando around? Well, uh, first that's... I got to
1: double check: is leadership allowed? Because not every table allows that.
0: Yeah, I don't know. That's my that's my
2: actual <laughs> answer. If he was like, "Dude, we're out." Like Yando doesn't owe us to continue with whatever we're doing. So I guess it's how much does Alex really enjoy playing Yando? I love playing Yando. So, uh,
0: I, I love having a, a horrible Australian or perhaps New Zealand accent. Uh, <laughs> and he's just, I don't know. Like, I just, I find it super easy to roleplay him. I, I love having an NPC at my disposal that everybody actually likes <laughs> and wants to keep around. Honestly, um, it's
1: nice just having that NPC around too to bounce rp moments off of rather than having to constantly go among the group because i mean i know lady toast was talking about that earlier that was the big thing that we're missing from skull and shackles is having that wide library of npcs to work off of oh yeah
2: yeah
0: uh yeah one of my favorite episodes from skull and shackles was when spoilers you guys were trying to uh take the the rock back uh after man catcher cove the one oh, episode 50 yeah where many died yeah. yeah my feet and well t- <laughs> i mean th- is the the build-up to that you're like all right like what's our plan like nobody's ever been able to penetrate this place so like what can we do and like all right so here's a couple like rough drafts like how c- but how can we like how can we quantify that how can we make that happen does anybody have this spell anybody have access to this spell and it just <laughs> turned into Feeks being like, hey guys, um, remember when I said I didn't have that spell? Well, what if I did? Uh, because I just had all these fucking like, stat blocks in front of myself being like, all right, does anybody have that spell? I don't think so. And then like fucking 10 minutes later, it's like, oh shit, no, uh, Feeks has it.
4: Dude, Feeks, I love that guy too. Yeah, you doing a good job, Axel.
0: Listen, uh, PC deaths are never uh fabricated on purpose by me but they do always create uh the most uh dynamic moments and the most memorable moments so for those of you in the audience that think that i uh relish pc deaths um he does the answer is yes but i also <laughs> don't do it on purpose
4: yeah i thought for a second you're gonna say and they always come from joe i was like Dude. <laughs> i will say nah, I there was
0: there was one PC death
1: that was planned out ahead of time. It was. Yes, okay. It was.
2: But, on, but the thing with that was, even though that was planned out, it happened in a naturally somehow.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it was planned out, and actually like the dice just cooperated in that moment. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yes, it was the hood.
0: Yes, the hood did die, but it was like but he, he died because we planned it, but Nick was like, I'll just roll dice anyway, just to I, I like, do it. I rolled two
2: ones. Like, Axel sent yeah. me a text and was like, alright, this is the point where he's gonna die, so just roll, and then he was gonna like, pretty much the roll Whatever was gonna you, be useless, right? It was yeah. just for Whatever sure. Whatever you
0: actually roll, roll a fail. Like, <laughs> say, like, oh, I got a natural one. And then you just did. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> but, anyway, uh, I think that just about uh does it for doing our retrospective on book two does anybody have any closing thoughts oh dude i got a lot of thoughts but mostly it's uh
4: you know how wild this has been up until this point and uh i have no idea what's coming and i got a new character and there's uncertainty around every corner and i'm I'm definitely excited to see what comes next because uh it's been a roller coaster so far and there's just no way it's gonna slow down and get all friendly. I I just can't see it. I'm waiting for my next Books, guy to die. You know, or some something horrible is gonna happen. It's just book always three. Looking. Yeah,
0: book three is my favorite book. Just just like just reading them all beforehand. Book three is my favorite book to like. It's the one I'm looking forward to the most will it be my favorite like after the fact I who like who's to say but as far as what I'm looking forward to running book 3 is hands down the one I've been looking forward to the most and uh. I will no longer be infested in the campaign when we are done with that
2: <laughs> now that's interesting cuz I was just about to say I think book 3 might be a bridge book but you're probably not super excited for that, so
0: <laughs> <laughs> all of this connective tissue. I'm just so invested in it. Um, I get the
1: feeling that, like, kind of like I mentioned before, I think like books one and two was more like this is this is the setup to get the PCs to a power level where they can actually start getting involved with whispering tyrant lackey level threats. <laughs> so like, yeah, 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 okay, we we've got the. <laughs> you can't really do anything meaningful until level eight. So let's get them there and then we can start the story. And that's kind of what it's felt like. We've just kind of been like almost like spinning our wheels, munching on rare candies until we got to the right level. (laughs) And like, now it's time to hit the shit,
0: you know? And, and book four is, I'd say it's a close second. It might be a tie between books one and four for like the ones that I was looking forward to the second most. Oh, I don't know, book two. They're all so good. Um, But, yeah, I'd say, like, book three, absolutely looking forward to the most. Book four, close second, probably. It's just, it's such a, it's such a cool story. Uh, But, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it there. I don't want to accidentally spoil anything. But, uh, it, it's been, it's been a blast going over all of book two with you guys, because, it was book two. Is also such a, a cool, interesting book. Uh, so many, so many cool moments. Uh, such a, a, it's a thrilling story so far. Uh, watching everybody deal with all this horrible shit that's happened, and yeah, I, I can't wait to, uh, I can't wait to to move on to book three and vigil and social activities,
3: <laughs> things and people. Stops. What are those?
0: but yeah it's it's been a blast uh talking to you guys and uh doing this live for our for our patrons Uh, i always love watching watching everybody with all their silly little comments pretending that i'm salty you're so cute (laughs) yeah we got the best people
4: yeah
2: love you guys
0: uh but yeah so we'll we'll see you next week for our grand premiere of uh of book three Until then, see ya. See ya. See ya. See ya.